Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast looking at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time, which I think we have done precisely once over the past three months. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas, Andrew. It's time for a Star oh, Wars special. Oh, oh, it's a very spooky episode of... <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, we are taking a break from our regular Halloween coverage for our special regular Christmas coverage. <laughs> But it's okay, because somehow Luke Dunn has returned. How are you, Luke? Uh, I'm good. Um, somehow, yeah, somehow I'm here again. And just I'm just as defeated as Oscar Isaac is in delivering that line. I'm not quite sure why I'm here. I'm not quite sure how I became the official Star Wars mascot of the 250. <laughs> but, but here, nevertheless... The dead speak, and I am here. <laughs> Look, great men don't seek greatness. They have greatness thrust upon them. And the podcast has thrust greatness upon you in this regard. But it's okay. You stole my bit. I was going to say, because the drums speak. Richard Drum, our other guest for this episode. How are you, Richard? Not too bad. I was very curious what other memorable moment from this film you'd pull to reference me given there's such a small cultural imprint for this film but um yes i'm not bad i was better before we watched this film but i'm still alive much like palpatine <laughs> your your favorite thing is is people making reference to your name uh, it is thank you andrew truly yeah. <laughs> to be fair you uh, did ask to be on the whiplash episode you, you did ask yeah. like that was yeah but i also told you that didn't occur to me until we started recording and you brought it up and I went, god damn it i wouldn't have, i wouldn't have jumped to that one twice readily if i'd known that <laughs> really looking forward to Nominative two hours and 12 minutes yeah. of this like when they hired mark <laughs> webb to do spider-man <laughs> <laughs> well darren and i already agreed on our bits beforehand we said that we the two of us need each other. We are a dyad. That's Darren and I. But we need um to to establish other like lore for our guests. <laughs> yes. And we, there's a whole thing. And um, by the way, I do love that Luke Dunn has wondered how he became the two fifties Star Wars guy, but we'll get to that. Um so Richard, mm-hmm. what is your relationship? like we don't need <laughs> <laughs> We probably covered it. I, I feel like everyone. we already got to it by saying we would get to it. But so, Richard, like, what is your relationship to Star Wars? Like, are, are you a lifelong fan of the franchise? Uh, like, were you here for this opening day? That's the sound of a man with a great deal of enthusiasm. I was there for an opening weekend, for sure. Maybe it was opening day. Um, Star Wars and me, I kind of came to it a bit later. I was always aware of it because it's Star Wars, therefore inescapable. But I thought they looked kind of boring as a child. I'd seen bits of Empire and Jedi and didn't care for them, apart from thinking like Dark Vader looked cool. And then I got swept up in the hype as a nine-year-old would for Phantom Menace and then briefly became a hardcore Star Wars person and then fell off it again. Kind of came back for Revenge of the Sith, fell off massively, apart from video games, and then got pretty on board with the new trilogy up until the current one. And then Disney Plus has quite rapidly sapped any enthusiasm I had for Star Wars that... Brian Johnson briefly reunited. Oh. Apart from Andor, obviously. But, yes. Alright, So, but you have seen, like, you're, you're, the reason I invited you on was because I know you're a regular guest on friend of the show, Niall Glynn's The Monday Lorians. You say regular, I've been on maybe twice. One yeah. of those is a Halloween episode. Yes, which, which we are going to circle back to in about three weeks. Thank you for that. I'm sure. Um, okay, so, Andrew, do you remember the first time you saw The Rise of Skywalker? Did you see it in the cinemas, or did you wait until this moment came? I feel like I waited 
quite a while. I don't think I saw it in the cinema. I think I wasn't clamoring anyway to go out and watch it. I don't think I was for the for any of the Abrams trilogy. I don't know how I uh, approached the prequel trilogy either. Um, and I, I, I did go to all of the uh, original uh, trilogy while the they were in the cinema in the seventies and eighties. Um, uh, no, I, 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 I think I might have even waited to see it on Disney Plus. Oh, okay. I mean, like that. Increasingly, I feel like people will not go to cinemas. <laughs> Particularly when something is going to release on Disney Plus relatively quickly after. Yeah, well. yeah. You generally know, as in, like, there's there's an explainer, at least, to say when it will be on <laughs> Disney Plus. Which, 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 if they wanted people to go into cinemas very badly, they're kind of like there is a tension there between two. Yeah. Anyway. How long am I gonna have to wait? So if I if I don't go to the cinema to see it, how long before I can watch this? Yeah, in the and I don't really breaks? care. Like about and I, I I suppose with Star Wars there is an advantage of seeing it in the cinema, of course, because of all the spectacle of it. Yeah. yeah. But I, I I feel like from I get a buzz out of a Star Wars movie as bad as the Star Wars movie is, but just like the the formula of a Star Wars movie the opening crawl and, yeah. and, and stuff like that. I think like you've that. said that. I think you've said that's the one advantage that like the pre the sequel trilogy has over, say, Rogue One and Solo is that sure. moment where the title appears and the orchestra soars and you're like, this is the height of cinema. And then I think you've described everything afterwards as a, a slow or quick descent into madness. Mediocrity. <laughs> um, I don't know. I like, this one especially has that problem because <laughs> the first words of the crawl just undo anything, <laughs> yeah. any goodwill you sure. have. Sure. Exactly. Well, un, un, unless, uh, unless like, you're a Fortnite fan. Fortnite, exactly. Well, I have thoughts on that too, but we'll get to it. <laughs> um, I uh, very creative. And <laughs> oh, okay. um, in favor, yeah. Innovative. It's like that uh, shot of the tenant. It's like tenant trailer. Tenant's trailer premiering in Fortnite, which is something that actually happened. Oh, did it? Yeah. Um, Luke, uh, sorry, Richard is wincing, but Luke. I'm picturing Chris Nolan having that explained to him and just, I don't know, his thoughts about it. That, it's like that shot of him at the MTV Movie Awards of Brittany mm. Murphy. That's what I'm kind of imagining Tenet's trailer. Christopher Nolan has kids, right? He surely has made his peace oh. with Fortnite. Oh, maybe. <laughs> That's a good point. Well, it's easy. You just say to him, hey, hey Christopher, I'll explain. T- take out your phone. <laughs> he uh, picks up a rotary phone out of his like <laughs> doctor's bag. Um, <laughs> Um, okay, so, and Luke, we... Maybe he has a Vietnam <laughs> walkie-talkie. <laughs> Does he have an 80s car phone? Or is that too modern? <laughs> yeah, that's far too that's modern. That's far too modern, yeah. Um, so, Luke, I know when you first saw The Rise of Skywalker, because the two of us saw it together. In fact, I think the two of us may have been sitting next to each other as this unfolded in the press screening. This was the... It's probably difficult to have, like, different opinions about the movie, because you're, 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 you, you... You know, you 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 were you were you were born together with this movie. Are you saying we're a dyad, Andrew? <laughs> yeah. we, we I don't know if we would have been able to get through that initial screening without each other. It's a real yeah. bonding experience. We kind of was there huddling the, the there moment is, where I reached across to Luke and said, "You'll want to take my hand." The, the, if nothing else, this movie maintains the the movie magic of 
the joy of sitting next to somebody in a darkened room for two hours and knowing that they are reacting to the thing that you're looking at in the same way that you are. Because that can be that can be real that can be a, a, a period of real uncertainty, you know, if you're with friends or loved ones. I think I talked before about being at the 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 midnight screening of The Last Jedi with friends that I felt sure were going to love it and <laughs> realizing afterwards just how much they hated it. Uh, but when me and Darren and, and Graham Day were, were watching this together at the press screening, just the, because we knew that they were going to walk stuff back from The Last Jedi. <laughs> we knew that they were going to try to placate the fans. But the the way that they went about doing these things, I think, just left us all in a state of shock and awe. Because I know what day this was. What was the order of the screens? Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. It was the infamous Cats Day. So in the morning, we were herded into the Lighthouse Cinema to see Universal's Cats. Um, And we came out of it. Oh, this was second then. This was second. And we came out and we were like, like thirsty men in the desert searching for water. We're like, okay, that is the, no matter what happens, that will be the worst experience any of us have today, right? Right, right, we say as we make our way up to Cineworld, into the IMAX screen, sit down to see it just two days before the movie's due to be released, which is always a great sign. Mm -hmm, The lights mm -hmm. go down and immediately the dead speak, Richard. Immediately the dead speak. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think Cats is worse than this, though. I think that probably, this was sort of a bomb to some degree. They should do a dark side of the moon, Wizard of Oz type thing and like... Layer the soundtrack of Cats. Yeah. Uh, See if it sings. I, I kind of, uh, yeah, I, 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 I kind of agree. I, I sneakily suspect that Darren says this is worse than Cats to underline how much he doesn't <laughs> like the movie, <laughs> and he knows deep down that it's not as bad in, as Cats. In my, in my essence, in my soul, <laughs> yeah. I, I will say we did try the two fifty gimmick of trying to reassemble the, um, the cast for our Cats episode, Jen Gannon and Phil Bagnell as well. We tried to herd them. Uh, into the podcast oh, they, studio. They said no. They, they said they very, very they wisely and very smartly. Luke, Luke and Richard just now realized that was an option. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, well, to be fair, yeah, Jen did do Ghost with us a little while ago and, and Phil raved about Aquaman. So they've done their time. They've done their time. <laughs> That's where the dead speak and the living speak, but to fish. So <laughs> I guess there's a theme. Running Are we doing an Aquaman episode? No, no. <laughs> he, he came on during our Justice League episode and did a whole corner on Aquaman. It was one of the strangest things I think I've ever beheld on the podcast in terms of just like content, but also in terms of the person delivering the content. Um, but okay, so let's talk a little bit about Star Wars Episode Nine. The Rise of Skywalker, the culmination of the Skywalker saga, the end of this trilogy of trilogies. A generation's Ooh, final journey has not just begun. We find out why they're called Skywalker. It's because of their job. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. Spoilers for the, spoilers for the podcast. Uh, <laughs> but yes, obviously, you know, we've talked about this before. Disney by Lucasfilm. They decide they're going to make a Star Wars trilogy. They're going to make three Star Wars movies. And they initially announced that the director of this movie is going to be Colin Trevorrow. He is announced as director in August 2015. The director of Jurassic World and Book of Henry. One of Spielberg's protégés, apparently recommended to Kathleen Kennedy by Spielberg. And kind of just on... Like Spielberg is... I I suppose... I, I, I feel like people have probably a rosy kind of a like picture of Spielberg because he doesn't 
make maybe as many movies these days but he's just like agent of chaos it's like it's very important <laughs> to me peter's uh, sorry stephen <laughs> um, it's very important to me that um this guy plays fred flintstone <laughs> and and that like uh aaron, aaron reich it should be a movie star i saw him in a mitzvah video <laughs> Yeah, I think yeah, exactly. The and it, the the book, the men who would be king, which is it's a great book uh, about uh, the setting up of the DreamWorks studio um, and the kind of rise and fall of that of that studio, which Spielberg was their golden goose. Isn't really does a good job of exploring how Spielberg is treated in Hollywood as this like golden child that like <laughs> that nobody can upset and and that you should speak to him as little as possible but when you do speak to him he will give you like amazing insights and and i think that spielberg as a man is possibly more interested in the idea of having these like legacy directors than in actually being accurate as to <laughs> whether they're any good you know um but yes, this is the guy. I swear to God. This time, <laughs> yeah. this time, this is the guy. Um, but we should. That, mention- that was it. Was uh, himself and Geffen, and uh, uh, yes, yes, and, and uh, Katzenberg. Yes, um, that's a great book, by the way. Thank you, Luke. That Luke gifted me that for Christmas a little while ago as well, which is very nice. The men who would. Can I make that my recommendation? Because I never, I never have a recommendation ready to go. <laughs> All right, you can, you, can, you can pop that in. You can pop that in, Just and we'll come circle back. Bit out. Yeah, I always, and then I always have we'll to think of one end. at the end, like <laughs> the wonders of podcast editing. Um, but yeah, so basically, Trevorrow now apparently Trevorrow works very closely with Ryan Johnson during the production of the Last Jedi. In fact, he goes out of his way to ask Johnson to include elements in the Last Jedi that will pay off in his idea for Episode Nine, which is titled "Duel of the Fates." One of those elements is the idea that maybe. Maybe. Maybe Poe and Ray should meet. Maybe two of your three protagonists by the end of the second movie in the trilogy should like have a moment where they say, hey, this is my name. And the other one goes, this is my name. And they shake hands and therefore they know each other. But apparently, yeah, apparently the two of them did work closely together, setting up seeds for what would be Trevorrow's episode nine. He works on it's called Jewels of the Face. A surprising amount of his script makes it into the final project, but in like a weird monkey paw situation that I'm sure we'll talk about, where so much of the imagery and choices this movie makes feel like they're like leftover elements of the of like Jewel of Fates that were left out in the sun to rot and nobody can remember what they looked like before they ended up in this film. But we'll circle back to that. It was Big- a good film, right? Yeah. <laughs> Is it better than? In spite cats? of all that, <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, we talked like we talked. I mean, we did talk about Rob Zombie's Halloween too, which is a movie that had eight months between Zombie saying, "Sure, I'll write and direct a horror movie," to releasing the horror movie that he wrote and directed. Um, talking about good movies, Andrew. But the big deal with the rise of Skywalker is Carrie Fisher's death. She passed away in December 2016. Now, obviously, Lucasfilm did not have a playbook for this trilogy. They did not have a map. They did not have everything they that they... They did, didn't they? As, in the sense that they they had originally thought of it being one for Harrison Ford, one for 
uh, Mark Hamill won for Carrie Fisher. And that was, was literally going to be the next Carrie line Fisher's... out of my mouth. But yes, I was okay. going to say they did not have a plan or a playbook, except that they knew that. <laughs> okay. Uh, they wanted each of the trilogy to reflect one of the classic triads. So the first one was going to be Han Solo, because obviously Harrison Ford wanted out as quickly as possible. Second one was going to be focused on Luke. And then third one will be focused on Leia. They probably didn't want to have to pay his fee for three movies. <laughs> and yet. <laughs> <laughs> we We will circle back around to that point. Now... Depending on who you ask, the death of Carrie Fisher either fundamentally altered the structure of this movie and in fact broke it down, perhaps leading to Colin Trevorrow's departure from the project, or didn't make a big change whatsoever. There's no real structural change to the movie. According to Kathleen Kennedy, this was the thing that kind of broke uh, her relationship with Trevorrow. Trevorrow trying to restructure his plan for that movie around the absence of Leia was what caused the kind of friction and eventually Trevorrow's departure from the project. But then Abrams, who is... And we'll talk about the press cycle for this movie, which is full of very interesting quotes, decisions, and arguments from Abrams. But Abrams is like, no, no, didn't change the movie. Movie's fine. What are you talking about? Why would that affect the movie? We, we knew what we were doing. It's, it's grand. You know, obviously we're very sad about her loss, but same same movie fundamentally, yeah. Well, I think there the the issue is that yes, it is the same movie, but that that's what Trevorrow's issue was <laughs> with, with, with with it. From what you're saying, uh, right? Yeah, so Trevorrow no. wanted to rework the 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 script yeah. to be less Leia centric. Then is is what you're saying? Yes. Well, no. Yeah. No. It was pretty it was reasonable. The, it was both. It was Kennedy and Trevorrow wanted to rework it, but they couldn't agree on how. Basically, okay. it seems to be the divide. Like, there seems to have been an understanding from Lucasfilm. They're very clear from the outset that they, they didn't want to use a CGI Leia. We'll come back to that question in a moment. They wanted to reuse footage that they had of Carrie Fisher from The Force Awakens, footage that had not been used. And I don't know the particulars of the disagreement between the two, but I think the restructuring of Duel of the Fates was what caused the gap between... Kennedy and Trevorrow, where Trevorrow was turning in drafts of his revised screenplay and Kennedy was saying, this is not working. Apparently, they went their separate ways in like June 2017, officially announced to the press September 2017 as well. Um, yeah, and then obviously things get a little bit messy and a little bit hectic. Uh, reportedly, uh, Ryan Johnson, when he had written episode seven, uh, sorry, episode eight, Return, uh, sorry, The Last Jedi. So many titles, so many numbers. <laughs> uh, but basically, when he wrote The Last Jedi, he apparently wrote a treatment for episode nine as well. Um, and apparently, he was the first choice for Lucasfilm to take over the sequel to it. Also worth noting, the key factor there is that, like, The Last Jedi is the only Disney feature film Star Wars project not to have a disastrous production cycle. So regardless of what you think about the quality or the content of that movie, there's a reason why Disney were like, dear God, Ryan Johnson, come in and make this for us. Make it work. The only director where there was not massive, massive, massive chaos behind the scenes. That obviously doesn't so work out. Lucas, Kirshner, Marquardt. Okay, sorry. The, the, Disney, the Disney live action movie that I'm talking about. So the sequel trilogy. Oh, so well, like uh, I would, I would, I'd, so, so sorry. Five, what do you mean? He's the only one <laughs> of the of the five. Yeah. So so Abrams, um, Tony of Gilroy, and Garth oh, sorry, Edwards, you're including uh, um, yeah, the Lord and Miller and yeah. Howard. Yeah. So including Trevorrow. Rogue One and yeah. Uh, so Solo. I, I think like you know a one in five hit rate is is not great. Is is what I'm arguing here. So he was 
they had done four, right? Yes. They'd done four. And but this he was, one was the third, the wasn't he? He was the third of four and the fifth one had just come off the rails. So his was the only one of the five, including the one currently in production, that had not gone off the rails. This is a very interesting thing to get stuck on, but yes. <laughs> um, but yes, that is that is just a statement. But there were only five. There are, there are only five feature films. We'll, we, yeah. we'll, we'll get, we, we will get into that, I'm sure, in a moment or, or later on. But basically, yeah, the, the, it kind of goes into chaos. They bring back, they meet with David Fincher, which is kind of interesting. They bring David Fincher, Luke is wincing at this. So, I just, I'm just trying to imagine, like, how long <laughs> the, 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 the worried decision of, like, okay, we have to fire him, but we can't fire David Fincher, another golden <laughs> goose. <laughs> so, did what? What do you mean by that, though? Like, what do I, I mean by by what? By they, they, they brought in David Fincher. They met with David Fincher. It's like, yeah. hey, hey, um, so they had a meeting with David Fincher. Yeah, and he, he was probably it. just recommending people. This no, like, he declined. Have, have you thought about Fred Durst? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, he he said he did decline. He was like, I thought about it. It was very tempting. And obviously, we've talked. I think when we talked, I can't remember Halloween. Maybe is when we talked about the relationship between Fincher and Lucas growing up on the same street, him working on Return of the Jedi and working on Temple of Doom and all that sort of stuff. The, but I, yeah. Not the most disastrous Star Wars meeting a director's ever had, because I don't think it's, <laughs> it's, it's going to be it's the famous David Lynch headache. David Lynch, yeah. That one, you know? yeah. What are, they, they, there are presumably meetings that we don't know about, or maybe we do, and this will start you on a long tangent. Christopher Nolan uh, definitively does not rule out doing a star wars movie yeah or doing a james bond movie at some point as well. yeah but specifically in the context of like this crisis management situation disney There's went no to... tangent there <laughs> <laughs> shut down <laughs> specifically <laughs> this is going to... andrew this is going to be a long i, I know this is going i to know be you a... love this movie so i want to prolong it <laughs> But specifically, they go to Fincher, which I love. It's like, look, we had a problem with this director who was too pernickety. He wouldn't accept the studio notes. He was too set in his particular ways. We need somebody who's going to get with the program, who's going to work with the studio, who's going to like be willing to compromise their vision and do what needs to get done in order to get this baby in theaters by the release date we already promised. David Fincher. Um, and like Fincher, we should point out, is like... Yeah, sure. I would love to come on board and direct the third movie in a science fiction franchise handled by two previous directors that is already stuck in development hell before I even jump on board. I that that doesn't sound like anything that's ever caused me trouble in the past. This version of Star Wars, the spaceships are made of wood. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for the, the Rise of Skywalker, the assembly cut. But yeah. It ends up kind of circling back around. It's pretty to... much art. It is that version of uh, alien uh, cubed oh where it's um, kind of like feudalistic it's the feudalistic yeah feud. like star wars always right. have the most janky ships yes i wouldn't be surprised if there was some wood in there so you're saying fincher would have been the perfect <laughs> exactly <laughs> i kind of love the idea of them still shooting david fincher's star wars episode <laughs> nine um but inevitably all these decisions all these choices they end up bringing Disney back to J.J. Abrams, a man who, by his own admission, is not any good at endings. Freely acknowledged in interviews, admittedly jokingly, not the guy you go to for endings. But somehow it's like, yeah, come on, let's figure out how this trilogy works. And look, 
Luke, I don't think we've had you on an Abrams Star Wars episode. Do you have any hot takes on on J.J. Abrams? J.J. Abrams is fine. That's what he exists to be. He's the wonder kid of being fine. Like, he came up at a particular point in in the, the Hollywood IP cycle where it's like, we need a guy who can just get in and get out. Launch a franchise. He's fine. I like. I mean, like the Force Awakens is good. It, it's yeah. good. It's mission accomplished for what it's trying to be and what it's trying to do. And a lot of that is down to the things that he's good at. Yeah, you which know? is uh, he's very channeling Spielberg, channeling Lucas. Like he's a director who has very strong influences, and those influences show up very strongly in his work. Yeah, it's just the the. I suppose the issue, like it's it's easy to kind of laugh it off as a meme of like I can't do endings, but I suppose it's that. He's got nothing to, like, say. <laughs> so, like, he can't really tie this 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 story together because the story has no meaning to him other than a, as a means of getting to the next beat in the story. He, he could have done another middle one just fine. <laughs> but, right. Like, he How would have just set up more stuff, you know. <laughs> Somebody else's problem. How do you feel about Mission Impossible 3? The only Mission Impossible movie I have not seen. Which seems like fa- fairly beloved. Maybe. It's maybe the best one. Yeah, that's yeah. what people say. They, I have um, said that to you, Andrew. Yes. No, I but think not you just... would like that a lot, Andrew. I think uh, I'm going to change that to my recommendation. <laughs> Stop giving it away. <laughs> <laughs> Another J.J. Abrams movie that was almost directed by David Fincher. That I can see as well. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That, yeah. That's a kind of a branch in the Tom Cruise uh, career, not was, to go down a tangent. It was going to not be uh, PlayStation Hoffman. It was going to be um, Kevin Spacey. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good example, I think, of what they would have liked Abrams to have been able to do with this, which is just a nice smooth landing, steady the ship after a divisive previous entry. Just kind of deliver a solid unit of IP, take us on home, you know? Mm. Yeah, that that is the other uh, unspoken, unarticulated thing here, is that the other big thing that happens between, obviously, all of this drama behind the scenes and the release of the movie is the release of The Last Jedi. And we should be clear here, because it's, it's actually just, it's weird that this has to be a thing that you state, but The Last Jedi is massively successful. It is the biggest movie of the year at the box office. It gets an A cinema score. It grosses $1.3 billion. It is loved by critics. It also is the best-selling Blu-ray of the following year. It is by any metric a hugely successful blockbuster. Except there are people who do not like it. And we, we talked about last year or two years ago. We don't need to go into it again. And obviously not everybody who dislikes The Last Jedi, you know, is is dislikes it for political reasons or dislikes it for, you know, culture war reasons or whatever. I mean, we, we all have friends who dislike the movie for their own reasons, and that's fine. Uh, yes. But I think it, there is a lot of baggage that the movie has from a certain class of culture war grifter turning it into a cause. And, you know, again, we, we don't really have to spend too much time on it. But mm-hmm. yeah, there was mm-hmm. kind of a, a there was a sense that they were waiting for something to break through. So in 2015, you had like Mad Max Fury Road. We talked about that movie on the podcast. You had an attempt to generate like some sort of, you know, misogynist backlash to that, but it didn't really stick. Same year, you had The Force Awakens and you had the whole Ray as a Mary Sue. And that didn't really stick. Now, my pet theory is that it hung around just enough that they could keep hammering it and would eventually kind of reach a breakthrough with The Last Jedi. 
Obviously, in 2016, you have Ghostbusters, the Paul Feig Ghostbusters, yeah. which is, you know, a breakout moment. It's a moment where they, you know, where this sort of backlash gets press coverage, yeah. where a movie underperforms. Now, to be clear, that movie made exactly as much as Ghostbusters Afterlife. It, the problem was that, that movie was budgeted like a blockbuster rather than budgeted like a comedy. But that's a separate discussion we don't have time to go into now. Mm. But it really does feel like, you know, and then in early 2017, you had attempts with like Wonder Woman to generate this misogynist backlash, this idea of you know empowering women is taking power away from men, Mary Sue's, you know, women only screenings, all this sort of nonsense. But it does really feel like it was The Last Jedi was the point at which that reached critical mass. The point at which it kind of truly broke through into mainstream culture. Yeah. The point at which like it began getting covered as if it were something that seriously merited coverage. And look, it is it it is horrendous. And just to acknowledge it, like you have Daisy Ridley being forced off social media by it. You have Kelly Marie Tran being bullied off social media. You have Wikipedia being updated so that like Rose Tico's page is turned into a racist slur. And and like what what's really frustrating about this is the sense in which Disney responds to that disney seems to acknowledge that or engage with it disney seems to say it isn't enough that audiences critics love this that we made all of the money it's that these loud voices online they're they're star wars customers too and they need to be validated and they need to feel heard and listened to and i mean again it's it's worth knowing disney is particularly susceptible to this sort of nonsense the following year they would fire james gunn which we, we have talked about on the podcast at length in the past but it does, yeah, I think Luke's right. It does feel like J.J. Abrams is kind of brought in as the guy to fix this, to reconcile it, to bring all the pieces back together. You know, Disney are kind of like, it's weird that Disney are looking at what is a massive success by any metric, financially, creatively, commercially, in terms of critical and audience reception, and going, yeah, but J.J., can you make it more like The Force Awakens, please? So, so Richard, what is your take? Do you have any takes on Mr. J. Jonah Abrams? because he does television, isn't it? Not really. Like, um, I think for a long time, I, like everyone else, blamed him for Lost, but that wasn't really his show past the... Well, he was involved with it, but not like directly. That was Cruising more than Lost, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, Love Mission Impossible 3. Never watched Alias. Didn't care for uh, Train Alien. What was that called again? Super, Super 8. 8. Yeah, I really like Force Awakens. Like, as I said, I wasn't a huge Star Wars person inside, like, the aesthetics of it and video games and stuff. And I really quite enjoyed Force Awakens and then loved Last Jedi and then think this one, well, thought this one was okay from sense memory and then less so on a rewatch. So, yeah, I think Luke's pretty spot on with just he's a safe enough pair of hands to just throw stuff out if you want mediocrity, apart from Mission Impossible, which was quite good. I like, by the way, that that explains why you were like, thanks for thinking of me when I was like, would you like to go on and talk about The Rise of Skywalker? I felt really guilty after I sent that message. Well, you got me at a good time because I was drunk and at a wedding and I was like, yeah, that sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> that's the key. If you got me on the hangover I, the next day, it could have been a different that's, answer. That's how they got Abrams. Yeah. Dar- Darren was like, I don't drink. What, do you think you'll... And it's like, no, leave, leave it a little bit. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, you you want it to be like around the time of the speeches. Yeah. <laughs> Text him now. <laughs> um, okay, and, and obviously, like, so the film rushes into production. You know, absolute chaos. There are all sorts of unsubstantiated reports, because obviously these things are NDA'd to death. But by all accounts, like, according to his editors, who talked to, like, the Happy, Sad, Confused podcast, and by the way, he had two editors who were working on this film uh, simultaneously. I'll get the name. It's it's Marianne, I think it's Marianne Bronton, Marianne Brandon and Mary Jo Markey. 
they were like the production on this was so frantic that they were literally set up in like when they were filming in the desert the editors were in a tent they next didn't to have time to uh, sign their NDAs. NDAs clearly yes yeah, so they could talk to the happy sad confused podcast afterwards but they were like in a tent like just over from the set where they were like already cutting the movie together kind of in real time as he was filming say you know those scenes to give a sense of how frantic the production on this movie was and again should... that's not normal they don't do dailies no well dailies are just you watch the footage Right. You do. You generally do the edit afterwards. So you okay. shoot, and then you have all the footage, and you edit. And one, of the, to be fair, one of the big issues with modern day reshoots. Why don't is they you... just shoot it in real time? <laughs> <laughs> it's a terrible strain on the editor's wrist. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, we we've talked about this. Francis Ford Coppola had a movie that he would edit in real time. Like he would take it to cinemas. It was Twix, I think it was. But he would like edit the yes. movie. He would sit down the front with a computer, and he would edit the movie in real time, depending on how the audience is reacting to particular characters or subplots. <laughs> so it was like, hey, this guy's he's going over very well in this screening. Guess he's getting a subplot. So, uh, um, <laughs> the idea that this was edited so hastily kind of explains some of the issues with it which i guess we can talk about later um and we we should note by the way that like again all of this is rumor and speculation unconfirmed the gossip and scuttlebirt that you hear but apparently uh, abram's first submitted cut of this movie into disney was three hours and two minutes long disney were like what what are you doing here like um so he went back and he cut it down to i believe it's like two hours and 37 minutes and Disney were like, huh, good job, J.J. Abrams. And Abrams was like, yeah, thank you. I think it is a good job. And apparently when he went to the premiere screening of the movie, he realized that they had cut it down again to two hours and 22 minutes from the two hours and 37 minutes that he had submitted without his consent or knowledge. Is apparently There the... was something in the air because wasn't cats kind of, <laughs> uh, wasn't there like a, there there was a version with like judy dench you know, with her wedding ring wearing and a wedding ring oh. uh, and, and like precisely and the, the same cut. time yeah and the butthole cut well, the thing with Are, is there a butthole cut of uh of, of Rise Rise of Skywalker. Skywalker. butthole cut is my favorite alien from star wars <laughs> <laughs> you know that they've renamed jizz andrew They've renamed the music? Yeah, no, so they long. haven't. They haven't. Cowards. They're separate genres. Oh, okay. okay. okay sorry, sorry. See, this is why we have Richard on the podcast. There was a... I read Twitter. <laughs> there was a mini scandal in Star Wars fandom where a new book published by Disney made reference to... What was it? It was like Jaws music, I think is what they called it. The new one, no. Yeah. It's not, there's no Z. It's like Jant or something, I think. It's Jant music. And everyone's yeah. like, wait, wait, wait a minute. Did you just? Well, you're you're being very reductive, Darren. <laughs> I, 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 like you know, there, uh, there's there's reggae, there's ska, there's dancehall, there there and yeah. and in in the Star Wars universe, there's clearly jazz and junt or jant. Jazz <laughs> and jant. Yeah, jazz and jant. The fans they jumped the gun, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> but yes, so apparently, and a, like one of my favorite details about that story of Abrams going to the premiere and realizing they had cut 15 minutes out of his movie is that the reason Disney did that without telling him was because they were concerned that he would move his contract to Warner Brothers, um, which he did afterwards. J.J. Abrams. Yeah. We were worried you would feel undermined as an artist if we told you. <laughs> we figured it was just easier for everybody. That we, just, we, that we wrestled away Final Cut from you. Yeah. We wanted to devastate you after. <laughs> but when it was he too took late. his toys and went to a, a company that wouldn't mess with his things. Well, after that, 
after that bad streak that Darren was talking about, like they were like clearly we're having a problem talking directly to the directors. <laughs> clearly that's where we've been going wrong. <laughs> Better to ask forgiveness than permission. <laughs> and like I I will put my hands up and say I seem to be the most pro Abrams of the four of us on this podcast, which is interesting given how much I despise. You this do movie. like a safe pair of hands don't do. you you're a big ron howard guy too uh, yeah i love uncle ron um <laughs> yeah. like i'm i'm all about the like a competent workman filmmaker who can provide a clearly structured movie that hits all of the beats that you're it's like expected. watching somebody load a camera <laughs> <laughs> but we, we talked about this like yeah. this is one of the things that i unironically love about better call saul are the montages of yeah. like mike doing stuff yeah i'm like that should be a youtube channel <laughs> should just be like so here's what you're gonna do andrew jj Aaron's just talking to kathleen kennedy going we had a good thing going <laughs> 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 we could have made so much money for you you and your pride and your ego <laughs> if you don't stay away from my movie <laughs> <laughs> all right what we're gonna do here we're gonna film some scenes in the middle of the desert this is my granddaughter's movie he finds out that they they cut those 17 minutes or whatever Kathy Kennedy's like oh JJ I'm I'm so sorry you know we we didn't even need to ask for your permission because we own the IP he's like just shut up and let me die shut the fuck up let me go to Warner Brothers <laughs> but yes and like so as the most pro abrams person on this podcast i found the press tour for this movie absolutely fascinating because you have abrams who is a man who seems by all accounts to be the kind of person who wants to please everybody and offend no one and as luke said is not an individual with a strong creative vision that he feels the need to share with the universe. He just wants to make popcorn movies that everybody like. Um, however, he's coming out after The Last Jedi, which is a movie, to be clear, the highest grossing movie of its year, one of the highest rated movies in the Star Wars franchise, according to critics, A-plus cinema score. This is The Last Jedi? This is The Last Jedi, right? But it's, it's perceived online as a divisive and controversial movie that some people will not shut up about. So you have this bizarre thing in press before the movie comes out. And I think Luke referenced us sitting in the cinema and not knowing, like, how this movie was going to deal with its relationship to The Last Jedi, which had been controversial among certain very vocal subsets of fandom of Star Wars. And the tension of, well, is it going to walk it back a little? Is it going to do it gently? Is it going to leave a little bit of ambiguity? Is it going to do a bit of wink, wink? Um, and that's sort what of what is like, it going to do? Yeah, I'm gonna keep raising the pitch of my voice. Um, <laughs> but basically, and the thing is, because Abrams was before he was doing before the movie was released, like he was talking to say the New York Times, and he was doing press out both sides of his mouth, which is fascinating. Where like Abrams praised the Last Jedi for being quote full of surprises and subversion and all sorts of bold choices. On the other hand, he added, it's a bit of a meta approach to the story. I don't think that people go to Star Wars to be told it doesn't matter. Even so, Abrams said The Last Jedi laid the groundwork for The Rise of Skywalker and, quote, a story that I think needed a pendulum swift in one direction in order to swing in the other. So there's a real, you know, I like The Last Jedi. I also understand that some people do not like The Last Jedi. 
and the movie is going to deal with those complicated feelings in a way that will satisfy everyone. This is this is why JJ this is why JJ Abrams keeps getting work. Is his yeah. ability to do that in meetings. Yeah. I'm sure Tom Cruise asked him what he thought of Mission Impossible 2, and he was like, You can sure ride a motorcycle, Tom. <laughs> it's bold choices, <laughs> um, subversive, self aware. I like this guy. But on the other hand, I don't know that audiences go to the cinema to see a meta self aware take on Mission Impossible. But at the same time, I think Mission Impossible what 2 do you is think, the Tom? pendulum. In- <laughs> that that is the correct movies. answer. Yeah, that, is, that is the correct answer. <laughs> but. I do also love from the opening weekend, like not even in hindsight, this isn't like months after the release of the Rise of Skywalker, like opening weekend, he's hosting a screening of this at the Academy in Los Angeles. And he gets a question from the audience afterwards of like, so what do you think about like the negative critical response to the Rise of Skywalker? And the first thing he says about his own movie is, I'd say that they're right. The people who love it more than anything are also right, he rushes to add. Like, it's yeah. just... Yeah. I'd say I'd say he's great to have, like, a, a, a kale salad or some, some you know, a po- a, you know, just a, a meal. Talk about a few movies that are never going to get made. If you say to him, can I show him your script? He's going to absolutely say yes with his face, with his eyes. <laughs> I- can I... his mouth and you but he will never see that script he's <laughs> very I... good at telling people <laughs> what they want can i say he is correct no like i, I like I, I unironically like that answer i think that's a dignified it's like the yeah. snyder's response to the martin scorsese superhero thing where he's like look scorsese like the one person the one director to get the right answer on martin scorsese's superhero comments I don't know. is zach snyder I want to just focus on that uh, for a moment. I I think this generation of directors are too they're 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 two kids gloves. You know, he needs to be like, no, I made a great movie. You have no idea the pressure I was under. Fuck you if you didn't like it. You <laughs> know, <laughs> Zack Snyder needs to be or a J.J. Abrams. Abrams, like oh, you but all of them. You know, Elliot like, Johnson. Yeah. Johnson has been very. He's he's obviously Johnson has come out against some of the more hateful uh, elements of the of the backlash that his movie received. Right. But otherwise, it's all too playing nice, you know? Sure. We need more, like, Carpenter's more, like, even... Yes. Have you guys seen that clip of, of Scorsese and, and his daughter uh, going yes. through all these slang words? Mm. And as yeah. soon as she says on. to him, the, the king of comedy he was slept on, he's, like, pulling out this, like, Entertainment Weekly <laughs> review from, like... Like, and, and and specific phrases that were in it and how wrong they were. They called it the flop of the year. Entertainment Weekly. Flop of we, the year. We need more grudge holders in our directors. But the know. reverse thought is like that interview between Freakin and Wayne Winding Refn, where Refn is just the most <laughs> up his own whole <laughs> you person you've ever seen in your life. So I don't know. I think I kind of prefer the kids' gloves sometimes. Part, I part feel like <laughs> the, the correct response to Scorsese is like whatever one's own response would be. You know, as as in, like for me, it would be like I I admire Scorsese a great deal, but his his views on the modern cinema actually kind of bore me a little, so I don't really care. Um, you know, if you'll like, excuse me, I'll just be at home with my family. Nobody's stopping him from making movies, and 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 there's other people who he knows and can name who are also making movies. Um, 
that he can like uh, applaud. But you know, it, it, <laughs> I don't know. Oh, it's very Abrams like answer. Yeah. But anyway, sorry. What what was Snyder's response? Snyder's, oh, resp- Snyder's response was, "Look, the man. He's worked hard enough. He can say whatever he wants. He's he's earned the right to an opinion, and we should listen to him. Nobody knows the history of film better than he does. Of course, he's not talking about my superhero movies." Smile, which I quite like. That's a nice way of going. You know, it's not actually a serious conversation, but he's allowed to say what he wants to say, as opposed to a lot of people who are like, no, he has no idea. He's completely out of touch. He's an old man who's lost touch with reality and doesn't understand modern cinema. Yeah, pioneers of cinema and ongoing cinema, the Rousseau brothers who love the medium and are desperately trying to keep it alive and not kill us year on year. Hey, hey, the Grey Man shared universes. Like, what is it with you and the Grey Man? (laughs) (laughs) I I, 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 I think it's great, man. I kind of agree with some of the, the the disappointed responses that people have had. They're like, you, you know, I I I, um, I I don't think they should go overboard with it. But also, like, people react to, uh, like, with this movie, is people reacting to fans who matter like a lot less, obviously, than Scorsese. But no. I, but I don't think like it should matter to 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 people what Scorsese think so unless you kind of agree with him in I, which case you're you're like yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um i don't know it's, it's i, I think of... that there is not an objection to fans there's an objection to the idea that like one of the most powerful media conglomerates in the world listened to an extremely vocal minority of online fans who said lots of things that maybe you don't want to encourage such as, hey, there's an Asian woman in this movie. We'd like to see a lot of less of her next time. And kind of respond to that and said, notes taken, on board. Well done. Congratulations. We, 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 we'll, she's, she's not going to be on You'll screen. You'll be happy that to know that, that she is, no, she is in the movie. <laughs> oh. oh, Andrew, I have notes. We have notes. Um, no, I, like, I, 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 I completely agree that it, it, the, what, what happened with Kelly Marie Tran is, is, is disgraceful. But they don't even have the courage to remove her. <laughs> that that that's that's something we will get to in a yeah. second. I think. I think like if they uh, want to make like the, the the their their horrible Star Wars movie. They should do it for their own reasons. <laughs> they should commit to it. I I have I have thoughts on that as well, which we can kind of mm-hmm. get back to. But I think that there is a. I think that that is part of the considered approach that Disney have tried to apply, not just to these movies, but to other IP that they own. And I think that I don't think of this movie as particularly successful as a movie, <laughs> but there are things that Disney are trying to do with it that you can't deny that they were successful at in the long run. <laughs> so, namely, calming down the fan base. Yeah. Uh, well, again... We, we should note just again, just in terms of the reaction to the movie, I think this is very important in terms of framing the context of the discussion. First of all, it made over a billion dollars, which is great. That's a lot of money. Financially, usually successful. It's cool. That, <laughs> it is. It passes the Sean Parker metric of cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's much cooler than making a million dollars. But we should also note that it was the only film in the sequel trilogy to earn negative reviews from critics. Um, and substantially negative reviews. It had the lowest cinema score in the franchise's live action uh, history from audiences. So those are like surveyed audiences at screenings, not people on the internet. Actually scientifically conducted market research of what did you random stranger think of this movie? Can I, can I ask, is that initial critical response? Because I can't believe that in this day and age there isn't some twisted like, <laughs> attempt to reclaim. who is like, yeah, reclaiming this movie and like giving it a cre- critical reevaluation. <laughs> 
You can tell that Andrew... I feel like that's going to come as soon as like Dave Filoni gets finished with it and he's like finished spending five years trying to retroactively plant seeds with this narrative to make sense. Well, make sense. Then the critical replacement comes, oh, actually, no, with all this like five years of Disney Plus content, now it's a good film, you see. It all <laughs> I, makes perfect compared sense. Compared to Air of the Empire, Richard, you have to put it in context. Because people, people do defend a prequel uh, trilogy now. Well, that's that's part of the the wider kind of thing. I think. Yeah, I because think I, that is part of what Richard was just saying. I guess mm. I talked about this with Spider Man and stuff, like the yeah, the way that Disney are able to play the long game with the, with their ownership of these these franchises, you know. Hmm. But also, like prequels, I think because there was such a big gap of time where there was no new Star Wars stuff, like that gave it the space to be reevaluated with the current non-stop just churning oh out of stuff. God. There isn't time for this to happen, but it might eventually if Disney Plus just collapses, I suppose. I do also think there are several other factors, the first of which is that whatever you say about the prequels, they have a strong, distinctive, creative vision to them. They are the work of a singular architect with a strong vision. Oh, yeah. I don't think that is necessarily true of this no, movie in not particular. not at all. <laughs> it's, um, what's it called? It's an exquisite corpse, isn't it? Oh, I like that. Yeah, the literary reference. Yeah, that you start like one line. Or you, you can you can do it with a, with a drawing as well. That you will draw like a third of a painting and then hand it over to somebody else. And they only see the lines that you stopped at. Um, yeah. yeah, and therefore I have to improvise around them. Um, we should also. Why do they do that though? It, it, it seems so. But I, I, I know they have overarching people like uh, Kathleen Kennedy, and I think the logic was that you should again. The original Star Wars trilogy wasn't overthought or wasn't overdesigned. Like as in the, that was very much made up as it went along. We talked about yeah. we covered it. Like a lot of those threads. That were... seems to be sorry. It, I, I, I'm going to get to this, I suppose. But that seems to be what people are annoyed about with this movie and there's some i think in fandom it's like this isn't star wars it's like no it's is really very star wars um but I, I think that it's a reaction against the prequels where everything was overly planned and overly mythologized and overly designed and overly down to one individual i imagine that like in disney the conversation was well we want them to be like the old good star wars movies by which we mean we bring in a hired gun they do it they do a movie it works we bring in a hired yeah. gun they do a movie it works bring in a hired gun they which do a movie it works which is what they did, and then I th I think people's response to this is like they would they would never do this in the original <laughs> trilogy. Well, like I, yeah, in to be fair, no matter what they done, they would have had a reaction from a certain segment of fandom. It was always going to yeah. be a reaction against it. I do honestly think though that my hot take is the first Disney, the first three Disney Star Wars movies are fairly good. Like I actually I really like the Force Awakens. I rewatched Rogue One, your favorite Star Wars movie. On ironically, I think it's great as well. Rewatched it. I think it holds together really well. I think Andor is the fruit of that, and it's brilliant. And I do. I love the Last Jedi more than you do, but I do think those three movies work really well. And I think everything since has not, with the exception of Andor, obviously. Um, but we should like just in terms of like proper context for the movie we're discussing. We should also note that this is the point where like Star Wars ceases to be the biggest thing on Earth. And and again, Richard has mentioned the unceasing glut of content on Disney Plus. But like even in real time, this is the first of the Star Wars sequel trilogy that is not the highest grossing movie of its year. It is the lowest grossing of the Star Wars sequel trilogy. It is fascinating because you can see that collapse happen in real time, where if you look at the weekend estimates, the opening weekend estimate is uh, one, sorry, is 195. 
Then on Saturday, they're like, ah, I don't think it's going to make that. It's like 190. It's going to make 190. Uh, and then they hit, no, 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 by Sunday, they're like, okay, 179, 179 million, that's going to be our total. And in the end, it comes in at like 175 million, uh, which is significantly under, it's, you know, more than $20 million under what they were estimating it would make on Friday. So it seems like it really did kind of fall apart in real time when people started to actually see it and actually talk about it. And this is a movie that ended up grossing less than Joker. This grossed less than Todd Phillips' Joker, which is something that I think about regularly. The thing is, Joker had a lot of momentum behind it. I, I think it's all like, about frame. Yeah, I think, I think we were about to make the same point, Andrew, so you go ahead. Yeah, my, the, it's all about framing. Sort of like, so you say, like, they expected to make $150 million. They made $175 million. That And... Overall, they made a billion dollars. <laughs> that is more than this other movie. <laughs> um, but I, you, you know what I'm saying, though. The, yeah. Those discussions about like kind of uh, how much a movie grosses and how much it makes in its opening weekend. It's framed by you know what the expectations are but, and what are you comparing it to. I know, but the expectations on its own. But if the, you look at it, it's a very successful movie. But the, those expectations are a based on dollars. those expectations are based on real-time performance. So the issue is like on Friday, they look at the amount of people who are showing up on Friday How morning. How many movies have made a billion dollars? Uh, I think for some of the region about like 80 of them. 80? Yeah. It's, there's been a real explosion since 2008. You got to keep in mind the year this was released, this was barely in the top 10. Like, this was the same year that you had, like, um, Endgame, Captain Marvel, you had Joker, you had Aladdin, you had The Lion King. But now when a movie doesn't make a billion dollars, it's a failure. Yeah, when this does make a, mil- a billion dollars, it's a failure, too. This, I suppose, is the thing, is that that perception, or who carries that perception, and who, what weight that perception carries, is not us, the the the, the, the audience. We ultimately don't care how much money. Yeah, nor a movie should makes, we. Or we shouldn't. I think some of us do, but we but 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 we shouldn't. But the people making the decisions that go, oh, okay, this movie made a billion, but we thought it would make two billion. Right. You know, they they then act accordingly on that. Like, and you end up in a situation where even, say, the Last Jedi, which on paper in the in you know in the books, is an unequivocal success. And yet their analysis of the metrics and their analysis of of the response of all that leads them to go, yeah, Ryan, you can direct another trilogy Some over there. Some unspecified point. Yeah, we'll get to it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the, the, I think the indecision and the creative indecision and the kind of the attempt to make sure that the numbers that are projected are big so that the shareholders are reassured so that you know, it's just this constant cycle of of those kinds of things. Sure. That ultimately are really important, but they kind of require this own like self sustaining cautology and, and and mythology. You know, you kind of need the narrative always to be that everything is going well. Right. And if something is projected to make a certain amount and it doesn't, regardless of the fact that it's still a successful movie, the 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 perception means that it's harder to justify in it because like you just have to keep the number going up all the time. The line goes up, you know, and, and these movies are so like this, this is this more than uh, anything is the hard ceiling of these IP driven movies. 
more so than the actual worlds and, and the creatives and all that themselves is who they have to satisfy. Yeah. Which ultimately isn't yeah. like this seems like it's caving into to the fan base, but ultimately it's caving into the fan base again in order to keep the shareholders satisfied that the fan base is satisfied, yeah. you know? Yeah, I I think I think there's an anxiety in audiences maybe that the algorithm will favor something that they don't want. But it feels like every week there is some sort of a or regularly, let's say. There's there there there's this sort of like, oh, um there's there there's like a significantly uh, unsuccessful or like uh, supposedly unsuccessful movie that follows the formula and gets it wrong and uh, audiences are tired. And at the at the very same time there is some there's there there's another movie released by a big studio where they're like finally uh studios are making this kind of movie um and not just another like uh, uh marvel um extravaganza so you're thinking as, this as, year as, for example if, of indiana jones something... and the flash compared to barbie and oppenheimer sure yeah well there's this assumption that like what 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 studios make is so homogenous and 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 that's if these movies are successful, there'll be nothing but these movies. But they're not always successful, and there are lots of other movies. I you know don't what I mean? know if I'd go so far as to say there are lots of other movies. I think the fact that like Oppenheimer and Barbie I, were seen as I being unicorns, and Barbie I think for is a most toy people, movie. there's plenty of movies. There. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know that you can't stop watching them, but, um, but like I, I think the fact that like Oppenheimer and Barbie were unicorns speaks to something, and the fact that like Barbie, which is based on a Mattel, but you just toy. mentioned Joker. Like, I think Joker is a good example of this, though, because I think that there is a level of momentum going into it because it seemingly catered so heavily to to a certain demographic. Sure. Because of the intrigue of seeing actor at the profile of Joaquin Phoenix in a role like that, because of the discourse and all this stuff, it just led a certain way to to the momentum that that movie was on that tipped it over in that initial weekend. And then that movie had a good bit of staying power financially. Whereas this movie, the narrative around it, I think is really just true. The movie is not well, it's not good. <laughs> but I think <laughs> sure. the narrative around it really dragged it down to the point where they really burnt audiences out on the idea of seeing more Star Wars movies so quickly. Yes. Uh, and and again, I think that part of what they've been doing with this movie and with the, the franchise since is to just kind of recalibrate audiences <laughs> to be like, no, you like this IP yeah. uh, because I think studios find that when they break an IP, it's very hard to fix it again. You look at stuff like Fantastic Four or, you know, X-Men, these kinds of things. Right. And I think that Disney's perception was they bought these kind of mint condition tools. Can't miss goods that, that needed a little sprucing up. They had that real audience enthusiasm. And then I think I talked about this when they were doing solo and stuff as well. Like there is a real fear on on Disney's part of of kind of burning that because it is so theoretically infinitely hugely lucrative that that anything that 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 could lead to that like because Star Wars wasn't wasn't just per se perceived as like having gone wrong with the prequels. It was perceived as uncool and like stupid and like unviable. And again, like if you're if you're a very cap- if you're the ultimate capitalist driven <laughs> force on the planet, like Disney, uh, you can't you can't you you can't allow yourself to afford that that kind of uh, risk uh, with with one of your main IPs. This is a very depressing conversation. <laughs> no, but I I suppose with the with the prequel 
trilogy and the the kind of capital that they lost or that they perceived that they lost with it. I think they were saved by the the nerds, I guess, in the sense that like they, they, the the work that Dave Filoni did with with the the, the Clone Wars cartoons, with the Clone Rebels. Wars cartoons, they were like uh, uh, genuinely beloved. Not as many people saw those as 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 the like uh, prequel yeah. trilogy. And well, that that gets into the who, which audience you're making it for. Are you making it for that small, dedicated audience, or are you making it for a mass audience? But but uh, and like if you're opening these movies at Christmas, it needs to be a mass audience. Sorry, Luke. The thing is that those narrow audiences, the or niche audiences, they are a prism through which something can be illuminated. Sure, and the fact that. Like comic books per se as well. Well, exactly, yeah. and 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 with the with the buying of 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 Marvel kind of a couple of years before they, they they purchased this, that enthusiasm that they have and that that kind of still <laughs> held to belief that this world can be good and that they're excited, like the excitement for another Star Wars trilogy, yeah, and like oh they're bringing back the original characters and, and the idea of like oh I'm going to be able to take my kid to see. The Star Wars movie, the way I did. Two point one billion dollars. Two point one billion dollars. The Force Awakens, like highest grossing movie in North America ever. That was like a, we f- we forget it now after you know all the <laughs> everything all that, that followed, the way that it pickled and stuff. But there was a, a, a huge amount of optimism. It was a real Obama era. <laughs> <laughs> and after Obama, they have Trump. And then this yeah. is the Biden, I think, of the three. Yes, yeah. <laughs> well, very much so, because by this point, it's like, fuck it, you know. Ob- obviously, that's Whoa. not a very good analogy. But yeah. what, I, what, I, what, I, what I mean is 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 that there there is something hopeful about the first one and that the second one is very divisive. Obviously, Trump and his supporters probably hate the second one. And, um, but there's a level of resignation then to the third one. It's like, yeah sure yeah exactly this is the best we can do <laughs> you know what I, mean? and I think and that I'm, runs through like the fan I, base because this wasn't this wasn't hugely beloved but it was kind of it wasn't super divisive either yeah i think you the the, the performers in it are similarly like let's just get this over with yeah <laughs> yeah in a way that that bleeds into the performances abrams is like yeah sure i'll do it yeah I mean, like that, that is the thing, whatever you can say about this movie and, you know, many people have said many things about it. You are not still talking about it five years later. Whereas if you throw a comment about the last Jedi into the void, well, we are, but um, (laughs) the void will throw a brick in your face. Um, But I think the one area where they are still talking about this film, though, is sort of just in the meme sense. So it has had a cultural imprint, but it's not (laughs) through a narrative or character or even visuals. It's just the dead speak. It's just... They fly now. Somehow, first yeah, favorite the, uh, live slug reaction, homophobic <laughs> thing. Like that's really funny. But uh, like these aren't the film wasn't designed for these to be its lasting cultural imprint. But so it is still kind of around ish. All right. I so- don't know the live slug reaction. <laughs> I, I, I need to know what this is. I have seen the Look movie. Look it up later on. Yeah, so. I will. Okay. <laughs> Into the show uh, notes. Yeah, <laughs> that's my recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So before we talk about like the rise of Skywalker in more depth in the Spore Zone, three questions to get us started. So Luke, do you think the rise of Skywalker belongs on a list of either the greatest 250 movies ever made or the worst 100 movies ever made? No, to both. I think in my review at the time, I was very resigned. Similarly, like it's 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 not a good movie, but it is not 
it's not a good movie by any stretch of the imagination, but it does not offend enough to 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 get that level of ire to put it on the list of the worst of all time. It is what it is. It's IP management, I think is what I said. And I stand by that after watching it again. <laughs> Sorry about that, Luke. And, <laughs> and Richard, same question to you. Either top 250, bottom 100. Yeah, kind of same answer, really. Like, it is, it's not, it isn't good, but it's, it's perfectly watchable. Um, I think in a weird way, it almost feels more watchable now than it did then as a a thing you'd watch on Disney Plus. Like it feels like the kind of content sludge that the, the streaming services just churn out all the time now. It, I think it felt more adhorrent, 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 abhorrent even five years ago. I, I love that you're like better than Book of Boba Fett, Richard Jordan. <laughs> yes. I know, yes, demonstrably. I'd rather watch this twice in a row than that again. That was absolutely. Um, and Andrew, what about yourself? Same question. I'd, I, I'd agree with that. I thought like Book of Boba Fett was initially promising and then <laughs> but like then it, it became the Mandalorian for two episodes. <laughs> I was just like watching that and, was the best bit <laughs> like I exactly no I don't have a problem with it becoming the Mandalorian it's like the yeah anyway um the uh like I think we've gone through how I feel about the yes. book of Boba Fett you insisted we record an episode on Obi-Wan Kenobi <laughs> yes yeah. shower thoughts but we we generally spoke I think about yes, the TV we shows we spoke about yeah. we, spoke about we have not spoken shows. about Ahsoka yes <laughs> now, special episode no we're not going to do a special episode <laughs> the world episode. wants to know the world needs to know um, uh, but we could make this that way. Yeah, we <laughs> no, could I think you could do it in one sentence Andrew add an extra hour to it <laughs> <laughs> I think we have enough Richard on our plate yeah. we are an hour in and we are no uh, uh, what was your question Darren was it about whether it's under 250 T- top or, or bottom uh, or, or neither no I, I, I I'd say it's it's neither and um, my attitude to this movie was just that it's it's another a Star, Star Wars, Wars yeah it's another Star Wars movie it's doing all that Star Wars stuff I get that there's like strong feelings about like oh you've you've thrown this other movie under under the bus you're rejecting kind of like creative decisions i think there's much worse examples of that we we recently watched um, rob zombies halloween no um uh halloween resurrection Uh, Ooh, there's a good one which is worse i don't I th- know i think that is yeah okay well that was I, made with the actor's consent no, like, that creative decision was made with the actor's consent which i think is a difference like but, why but, did you guys recently watch halloween it's christmas <laughs> wink wink <laughs> well luckily we've watched all of the halloweens we're finished now we're certainly not going to spend three weeks in january it's about good David it's Green's good that religion. like i need to go down and base the turkey <laughs> <laughs> um, I, once we get to the spoiler zone yeah but i i do yeah yeah it's, uh, it's crisp up from your death star themed shaped uh, turkey baster <laughs> yeah um, andrew looks up at the podcast and says let me be frank um but <laughs> like every new year's or every christmas uh, message this is odd because the weather I, I... outside is hot and the <laughs> <laughs> global warming eh? yeah um, um this is odd because i'm i'm on the podcast, I'm apparently the person who likes this movie the least. Um, I how is that surprising? None of us said it was good. <laughs> is it like a fact that I know about you is how little you like this movie. I know, you, but you, I sat you've next spoken to at Luke. length. <laughs> I sat. I sat next to Luke. Um, Richard is a man who knows his Star Wars. I you, was like, your issue, Darren, I, is that you want other people to like it less. I think. <laughs> okay. I, wow. Okay. 
I think you have a greater capacity, Darren, to be disappointed. I think you felt more let. I think you felt more let down. This was my recollection: is that you felt more let down. I think Graham, because the three of us saw it together, Graham felt more baffled. Yeah, and I just felt more burned out. That, you know? Which is a pretty what, good. That pretty much epitomizes our dynamic the, as critics. That's what really startles me about the reaction to this movie is that this is the point when cynicism starts to like set in. <laughs> like you're like, oh, they, 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 you know, they, um, they don't, they don't respect me. <laughs> they don't respect me. Is that what it is? Um, I don't know. Like, are they, 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 they have, they, they have, they have compromised creatively or, or, or whatever. They, like, I think what, we the talk, thing we is talk, as well is that we've got like however many more years of Star Wars related creative decisions since this. And I actually had in my notes, there's, there's one thing that as it was happening again, I was like, this is a point of no return in terms of their disrespect for the audience's intelligence but then i thought of it was some of what they've had since and i'm like no they had much much like lower opinions to go okay. still can i make a counter argument there right which is that i think like honestly i like the force awakens i acknowledge that that was a rehash of you know the original star wars or what we call a new hope these days but i understand that in the context of the prequels have come out we need to win the crowd back we need to show the crowd that we know how to make a quote-unquote star wars movie that does not look like the prequels that looks like the original films that they remember watching when they were kids i accept the inherent nostalgia of that because it comes packaged with by the way there's going to be an old guy in it and he's going to die and this is going to be the story of the kids going forward you watch the force awakens that is actually actually invested in the story of these kids then you get like rogue one and yes edwards was screwed over on that creatively but he was screwed over while a allowing him to retain his sense of visual style the way in which that movie is shot looks like an edwards movie but also he was replaced by tony gilroy gilroy is an, an artist with a very distinct sensibility which leads through into andor then you have the last jedi and yes i will I, we talked about it when i came out the last jedi I was an idiot. I came out of The Last Jedi and I said, really like that movie. But Jesus, it seems to think Star Wars fans are really fragile. I think Star Wars fans are mature and are capable of dealing with big themes and ideas and they can grapple. This movie, you know, it, it, it's very soft. It puts on the kids' gloves when dealing with Star Wars fans. They're much more mature. They could handle something much more critically engaged with what they love. And I was wrong. And I acknowledge I was wrong. And in hindsight, I'm sorry. But yeah, like I they came... Those three movies are well-made popcorn blockbusters. And I acknowledge that, yes, Edwards got very screwed over on Rogue One, but it still feels like an Edwards film. Those shots of the Death Star, those, like, the way in which violence is presented, even the camera movements, the character of Krennic, all that stuff feels like the kind of thing that you would not get in this movie, you would not get in any Disney Plus content that isn't Andor down the line. And I think, if I'm being frank, let me be frank, um, I think the point of when you say you the have point to of do no it in the Frank boy. <laughs> <laughs> do I know? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> We're just wholesale ripping things off from blank check. Yeah. Um but you did bring up Kevin Spacey, which is why he's <laughs> in my head. <laughs> but he has a spacey in your He does have, yeah, he lives rent free rent free in my, my head. But the thing about this movie and why this movie feels like, as Andrew said, a betrayal, as Luke said, a point of no return is that this feels like it is the template going forward for absolutely every piece of IP branded film where 
I acknowledge, you know, the early 2000s weren't a great period, but you had an interesting period, you know, late 2000s, early 2010s, where you were hiring directors like people like Christopher Nolan, arguably people like Zack Snyder, as much as, you know, I don't like Man of Steel, but you were hiring directors that had strong visual styles, strong thematic interests, and you were putting them behind IP and you were trusting them to tell their stories. Like, I know, I know you don't like The Last Jedi. I know you don't think of it as a Ryan Johnson movie. But it's very difficult to not like that movie because of how toxic that whole thing is. But this movie is fine to not like. (laughs) But but I think think that that really helps (laughs) uh, in terms of not liking this movie is is that like nobody's going to disagree with you too strongly. The people who defend it will say it's fine. It's just a Star Wars movie. But the thing with The Last Jedi is that that feels like a Ryan Johnson movie. It's thematically preoccupied with things that he's interested in, like the rise of fascism, which is a thread that weaves through his other films. Like he's, It's engaged with the stuff. It's, it's referencing the films that he enjoys. He's making reference to movies like Wings, all this sort of stuff that obviously come up in his other work. Like it is the work of a filmmaker, right? It is the work of an artist in some sense. Even though it's a big popcorn blockbuster, hits all the buttons, hits many of the cliches, features all the iconography that you recognize, right? My problem with this movie... And if you were to ask me why I think this belongs on a list of the worst 100 movies ever made, two reasons. First of all is, the list does not include any blockbusters past the late 90s. The last blockbusters to appear on the bottom 100 are like The Avengers, um, obviously starring Ray Fiennes, which we've covered, and Batman and Robin, the Arnold Schwarzenegger vehicle. Um, After that point, it becomes impossible for a blockbuster to get on the list. And I think there needs to be more modern representation. We need to be more willing to say that you know, big, crowd-pleasing blockbusters produced by studios are bad, actually, sometimes. And sometimes they need to be acknowledged as such, and sometimes we need to recognize that, and sometimes there's a conversation to be had about it. Specifically with this movie, though, and this is where I would, like, you know, I would differ, and you, you could come to me, you could come to me, Andrew, and you could say, but Darren, what about, the, on, on this, the day of my daughter's wedding, but you could come to me and you <laughs> could say... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, same. You could come to me and you could say, but Darren, what about like Joss Whedon's Justice League? What about um Alan Taylor's Terminator Genesis? What about uh you know I Jason Reitman's Ghostbusters Trans- Afterlife? What you know, what about like Andy Machete's The Flash? And I would say, I will take any of those. Give me one of those and just put it on the list. But we are talking today about this movie, and I think Rise of Skywalker belongs in that trend of just as you said turning blockbusters into algorithms turning these big gigantic big budget movies that are meant to be crowd-pleasing spectacles and stripping you know there wasn't too much i'm not pretending that these were little indie art house movies that were labors of love for their filmmakers i'm not pretending that but there was personality in them there is no personality in this movie and it really feels watching it like this is the blueprint for what a lot of major studios, and not just Disney, not just Lucasfilm, but what a lot of major studios want from their, and again, sorry to reference the Scorsese stuff, but their content. They want something that is not going to generate controversy because it doesn't have a point of view. They want something that, as you said, is not going to make anybody particularly angry at it, not going to make anybody particularly happy about it. It's just going to be... I would I would disagree that okay. it doesn't have a point of view. Though. Okay, interesting. Like in in, in terms of like what it, what it does as a narrative, people might not maybe want it to go where it does but that that i i i feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in this movie that we associate with other movies that we've also talked about 
And that isn't kind of an argument for its originality, but it's an argument for it having a point of view. Okay, um, we'll, we'll talk about it even the, if it's hackneyed. All right, we'll talk about it in the spoiler zone. But when I watch this, I feel like every creative decision this movie makes is hedged so significantly. It is a movie that just looks at me as an audience member and screams out of desperation, please stop yelling at me. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? I like yelling at a movie. I like yelling at a movie when I'm excited. I like punching the air. I like screaming, yeah. I like going, yeah. I also, you know, don't mind going, what? You know, I like an emotional reaction to a movie. And this is a movie that seems, like, calibrated. And and yet you had a... And, and continue yeah. to have a very yeah. emotional reaction yeah. to it. Yeah, I have an the, emotional reaction to my lack like of emotion. Yeah. With a competent director, which is also <laughs> a thing that you yeah. like. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I know. Like, it's the fact that I feel nothing is what makes me so angry, ironically. Like, I'm aware of the irony. It's that, yeah. it's that Sideshow Bob thing of, yes, I'm aware of appearing on television to decry the failure of television as a medium. I'm aware <laughs> of the fact that this makes me angry to a certain extent, suggests a hypocrisy in my argument that it's a movie that feels nothing. But I, I the numbness of it is what is so galling to me. Mm. It's the lack of creative point. I'm sitting there and I'm watching a Shaq note and I, I'm feeling nothing. I'm, I'm processing it as an intellectual experience. And it's afterwards I come out and I'm like, that there was nothing there. Um, but sorry, I, I, I feel like I'm ranting and raving and monopolizing. I will say, I had to watch this in two sittings because it just so fails to hold my attention for, for one go through. And I was, yeah, equally feeling that numbness of like, <laughs> I am watching so much happening and yet taking like it's, it's so little is happening at the same time. And I wouldn't be concerned, Darren, because I know you bring me on these things to, to talk shit <laughs> don't worry i will be doing that <laughs> i think there's certainly an argument to, to hold your hand is... while you both take a poo this is... <laughs> certainly one of the most cynical movies of all time if that's a if that's a list we could start possibly in the top 10 of the most cynical movies ever made yeah and i think that is that is my argument for why it's in the bottom 100 it is one of the most ruthlessly cynical movies i have ever seen well you're a very optimistic man darren and look where it's gotten you i know <laughs> it brought you back to me like it's a fact i, I, think I, I would people not mind. felt that way in a, in a in a very different sense i mean i i i with with the last jedi some people felt that it was like uh, performatively like right on you know dare one say woke exactly <laughs> i say. kind of didn't want to say woke yeah i do not like the word <laughs> yeah woke. no no that that sort of like even to say it feels like you're kind of endorsing that whole but <laughs> but people felt that that was cynical and it's like these people don't care about minorities, they just want people to go see the movie and to like bring their sons and daughters. But to the it. counterpoint to that is that like you have Ryan Johnson's entire filmography, which sure. is preoccupied. Like when he goes from making that movie to making a movie about the Nazi boy masturbating <laughs> in the bathroom, <laughs> yeah. um, you kind of have to acknowledge that there is a genuine sentiment yeah. there underpinning it. No. Whereas Abrams, and I, I, I say this, I like Abrams, sure. but I, I don't look at Abrams' filmography and go, well, there is a consistent through line about like equality inclusion and anti-fascism that ties his work together he does he does gen to... generally use blind casting though doesn't he like he doesn't specify like what race a character is going to be or say like 
um, a um, yeah. But I, I I don't think of him as a director whose political preoccupations work their way into his films in the way that Johnson's does. Like you watch Glass Onion and you know who that is about specifically, right? Like you know who and what that movie is about, like. I don't know. You can look at Abrams Super 8 and go, yeah, it feels like he had a really strong opinion about like uh, train safety, you know? <laughs> and I guess that's kind of like the, the flip side of, of this, which is like, if Abrams isn't, or Abrams or Terrio or whoever aren't making this movie because they have something to say or they're, you know, making it because they care about it, if this isn't being made by a, a filmmaker or a creative or isn't being guided by those impulses, who is it being made by and, and for? And like, the, there is the joke online that this was the first movie written and directed by Reddit. Uh, and I, I think there's an element of that being true. But like, there is a sense of like, who is this for? Who is this movie designed to satisfy and appease? And it's not a movie that seems to exist because anybody involved with it had a story that they wanted to tell or something that they wanted to do. Right. It it seemed to be made with an idea that, like, well, this should just be for, quote-unquote, the fans, and it should be for everybody. And and to be clear, I'm I'm not against that in theory. We've joked about that. I'm a big tent guy. I like my big populist crowd-pleasing blockbusters. Sure. But, like, the, the issue with this is that when you get to The Rise of Skywalker, this movie should be for everybody includes, this movie should be for the racists who harassed Kelly Marie Tran off social media. It should be for the sexists who called Ray a Mary Sue. Th- those people have views that absolutely should be valued and respected, and they should feel empowered and part of the community. They should feel like Star Wars belongs to them. Yeah. And, like, I, you know, I, again, this is... I, I worry I'm kind of hand-wringing or I'm being too serious or I'm giving too much weight to it or whatever, but as somebody who, like, watches this media ecosphere and who engages with this media ecosphere and who has studied, like, fandom, The Rise of Skywalker is one of the points where, like Joss Whedon's Justice League, it feels like you... You know, these large corporations that are worth billions and billions of dollars just just gave the keys to these cultural institutions to, like, some of the worst people imaginable with, you know, not only do they have bad taste, and that's okay, everybody's taste is inherently subjective, people like what they like and I don't judge, but they also, like, believe that... You know, there shouldn't be people of color in these movies. Women should have to justify their presence in these movies. And, like, I watched The Rise of Skywalker, and as much as Abrams can say, this is a Star Wars movie for everybody, it's like, I'm like, I'm okay with it being a Star Wars movie, not for those people who believe those specific things. It's okay to leave those people outside. And it, it does feel like this had the kind of chilling effect of, like, corporations going, you know... Whatever about your your comment about like being performatively right on or, or quote unquote woke or whatever, this is kind of the opposite effect where it's like, yeah, but even even if you want to or even if you're interested in that or even if you like want to go in that direction or want to say something about that, don't or water it down or put it in the background or have a scene of two extras kissing that can be cut out so we can distribute it overseas. It, it feels like it kind of pushes back where being right on because you are right on is the best case scenario being performatively right on because you think being right on is the right thing to do is maybe you know less sincere and less earnest but like not being allowed to be quote-unquote right on because it potentially makes people feel excluded who don't like that 
that is to me bad. That is the worst of all worlds. You know, I I don't know. Like I, I'm putting a lot of cultural weight on this movie. I accept, but it, it does feel sure does feel a little earned to be entirely fair. Whatever, given the, the movie's profile and stature. Whatever the divisive actions of 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 the predecessor, like the first five minutes of this movie reveal that there is a sinister force, <laughs> the older sinister force that was behind the scenes. That uh, I am woke. <laughs> the voice you heard in your head was, in fact, the Disney Corporation all along, <laughs> and they will make you think what what they want you to think. What the, that's if you if they want you to like Star Wars again, you will. That's that's I think the message they're trying to send with this movie. I, I mean, I I did hear I did hear that like the the New Republic did try to get Mustafar declared like a business zone. They tried to get that special status removed from tax purposes. Um, but okay, so Luke, is this on your 100 least favorite movies, your 250 most favorite movies, the best, the worst you've ever seen? It's one of the most exhausting movies I've ever seen. I felt having watched it with you that time and again watching it now, which is the first time I've rewatched it since then. Yes. It is just a very dispiriting experience. <laughs> it's very, very much, it's very draining of the the, the kind of energy that I want to have watching a movie of this type. It very much saps my, my, my enthusiasm. And I think that to me is that's distinct from hating it. Right. But it's just like, okay. Yeah. I, I knew going into watching this, that I was like, oh man, I had to steal myself up for it just cause I knew it was going to be a slog and it was a slog and I resented for being a slog. But as I say, Darren, these people can always get worse. <laughs> As I say, this is, this is. I think you and I would agree, one of the most cynical movies ever, ever made by and, people and, desperate to reclaim their, their product. And then they went after this and they went, what if Yoda was baby? And they made $8 trillion. <laughs> so you can always get more cynical. That was a good move, by the way. Uh, uh, I'm not like, saying it was incorrect, but, but you yeah. can always get more cynical. <laughs> Oh, people are crazy for Baby Yoda. <laughs> I, I would Grogu. I would I would mind this movie less if it was not the template for everything that had followed, with the exception of Andrew. Fair, fair. Like if this were and an Baby Yoda, <laughs> um, you have yeah. a problem with Baby Yoda, Grogu. Um, Grogu. We talked about this. Like I think the the thing like okay, not to get too much into this, but the thing about this is like Luke's point about it being cynical is correct, right? But the problem is that this is like the boulder rolling down the hill in Raiders of the Lost Ark, where you are like, ah, at least they can't be more cynical than this, right? So you like you go and you watch the Mandalorian and you're like, oh, man, they're doing a guy who looks like Boba Fett with a baby who looks like Yoda. I guess at least they're original characters. And then they go, no, what if we do an entire show after the show about the guy who looks like Boba Fett about the guy who is Boba Fett? I'm like, fuck off. Like, that's the point where I'm just like, no, there's always, there's always lower. It's the fact that this is always a bigger fish, one is. might say. I bring oh. it back to references. But, hey. And then when that's not working, they'll bring back the Mandalorian because that's what you like now. Like, I think sometimes <laughs> the phrase jangling keys gets used to criticize these kinds of movies. And it is a very hard accusation to deny when you get to that level of, you know, no, no, you still like it. You're still entertained. Look. Django, Django Keys fed. 
<laughs> but um, and, and Richard, what about yourself? Is this one of your 250 favorite movies? One of your 100 most hated movies? Um, definitely not the latter. Um, definitely. Mm, I don't think it's the. I feel like I've probably seen a hundred worse films than this that I I dislike more. But I I I think I'm coming more around to your view of it, Darren. The more you talk about it, I, I yes. Feel the power. Feel the power. <laughs> because of the, the funny thing is, that was, this is my third time watching it. So I went to cinema. I watched it again on Blu-ray because I bought it on Blu-ray for some goddamn reason. Maybe six months later, and my sense memory of it was that it was sort of like if someone had let Paul W. Anderson make one of these, and like it was a mess of editing, weird action scenes, the dialogue was this constant exposition. And I remember kind of liking it in a trashy way, and then this rewatch, I'm fully with Luke that it was unending it was arduous it got to the point where they just finished the bit on the Death Star and I checked the time and it was only an hour and a half in and like, there's almost an hour of this left so I could be persuaded to have it on the bottom 100 if I really needed to it's probably not but it's borderline at this point I think as, as a case so maybe maybe bottom 100 and, and Andrew on a bad day. well it's uncertain what Darren wants like do, does he want him to join you or do, does he want us to strike him down <laughs> and i'll become more powerful than you can ever imagine uh, yeah but um so <laughs> i do like that i am a corrupting influence i'm not trying to sway your vote it is strictly my take people who like this movie i am glad that they enjoy this movie just to be clear that is the stated position here um, yeah but andrew what about yourself do you love this movie is it your top 250 is it your bottom 100 i think out of solidarity i need to put it on the bottom 100 <laughs> <laughs> no no i don't <laughs> i i Stop uh, virtue signaling <laughs> exactly Stop it's, being performatively right on <laughs> no it's fine yeah it, it, it it's it, it's not i uh it, it's not it's not great, but there are kind of bits about it that I enjoyed. I mean, I spoke about the the basic thing of just having the, um, the Star Wars experience. It is exactly. just a Star Wars movie. It is a yeah. Star Wars movie, yeah. And they'll have like stormtroopers and stuff. They fly now, Andrew. They fly now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And it, it, it's really like for any, anybody who's played video games or something like that. It's like, what? They fly now? Um, is it? Yeah. Yeah, they fly. It, they're, they're, it's very video gamey in its storytelling. I mean, I'm sure we'll get to that when we talk about Yeah, but the so that's just a Star Wars movie. This like my my thing with like like a lot of the objections that people have. It's like it's a, it's a series of movies to sell toys. <laughs> yes yeah and it's like but and, this one is cynical some of them are good <laughs> I, 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 I think it's possible like barbie is a movie to sell toys and i think barbie is good to be fair sure yeah but anyway sorry <laughs> um but no like i i i can see your point i can see your point that the cynicism of this is it's baked you know, in it's built in and and you yeah. know you would argue it is just a passive part of the atmosphere that these movies breathe and exist in i would yeah. argue that this is like a kind of a fulfillment of that cynicism this is the full embodiment of this this is that taken to its logical and inescapable extreme um this but yeah, is no, all the cynicism <laughs> i think it's it's also unlimited cynicism i think it it's 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 the same as every Star Wars movie, but it's also very much its own Star Wars movie. I don't think it's 
that easy to mistake this for others. Okay. I I would disagree with that, but really, um, and like I'm not a, I'm not a Star Wars guy. That's the irony of this. Is like for all that I seem to have the strongest opinions about this, and I do have strong opinions about this. I have strong opinions about this not because of what it does to Star Wars, although it does do that to Star Wars. It also does it to Star Trek. You look at the third season of Star Trek Picard, and it is this. It does it to Ghostbusters. You look at Ghostbusters Afterlife, and it is this. It does it to The Flash. I don't care about The Flash, but The Flash is this. Like it's everything is this now. I. Don't- I don't know that I would agree that this is the canary in the call line for that, though. No, like, Justice I, League I, gets there first, to be fair. <laughs> I think you... that, that, that these symptoms are endemic in in these current big blockbusters. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a particularly bad example of them, and it comes to the fore yes. more, right. more noticeably for because of a variety of factors. Uh, but... You know, like if this was even already happening before this yeah. this movie came Solo. out. You know? Solo, Solo is a, is like not that different from what this is. The only difference is that. But Ron even Howard... even like their their uncertainty about what to do with with Carrie Fisher uh, and the fact that they they do use a CG Carrie Fisher in this movie, <laughs> regardless of what they said they would or wouldn't do. Uh, you know, they were they were they were already, you know, recasting dead people to. Yeah, puppeteer in their Star Wars properties yeah, in, before in this one, in yeah. Rogue One, um, and yeah, <laughs> but you know you are right. This this movie does blow. We can talk about why. <laughs> can, can I can I ask like do, you don't care about the Flash? Do do you have a turtle killing like volume of Flash? <laughs> I do. I have several anywhere in your, you do. Of the Flash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't care about it really. Well, I, I'm not even annoyed. <laughs> I I have more solo Wolverine comics than I do Flash comics to put that in context. Solo Wolverine. That's before you put him with the X Men. I have more Miracle Man comics than I have Flash comics. To be fair. Yeah, so you only so have I'm very invested. You in only America have like six Flash comics, <laughs> but and and for myself, I think yes, I think like this is a movie I had before this podcast. I had only watched it twice. Once when I went to the press screening, and once when I went to the family Christmas screening of this movie. We had booked before I went to the press screening. Because you saw Cats like six times. I have seen Cats six times, which tells you something. Andrew's like, he's bluffing. Andrew's like, he doesn't think Cats is a better movie. I think you watched movie. it again, just to underline how much you, you don't like this. Cats is more watchable than this. Oh. I'm going to say that right now. <laughs> I have apparently, like, in... I only started keeping a letterbox in 2018. <laughs> Since 2018, I have watched The Last Jedi nine times. That can't be right. There's no way you've only had letterboxes. Yep. Yeah. Um, I have watched Oppenheimer seven times as well, just to put this in context. So I have watched this movie a grand total of four times. I will probably never watch Baby it again Driver. in my life. Uh, Baby Driver I saw 13 times. Yeah, I was thinking what? that was a that, big that, one. That was before That was before all the stuff Other came out. Other films were invented? <laughs> That's like really the they got Al Capone on taxes. <laughs> <laughs> so I have seen Baby Driver ten more times than I have seen The Rise of Skywalker. I have never felt an urge to revisit it, um, even though my job is to like write about Star Wars. And I think personally, if I were to describe my personal like this is for me one of the worst one hundred movies I have ever seen and will ever see. And I think a large part of that is down to the fact that I I see it every it's like 
we've been talking about the Halloween franchise. This is like my Michael Myers. I look out the window and I see this movie standing behind billowing kind of like... You run uh, up and hug it like those kids. (laughs) (laughs) But like, this is the movie where... Whenever I write about pop culture, and I get to write about pop culture, and I love, I love writing about pop culture. I am, like, I, this week I get to write about how, like, the brutalist architecture of Loki is a clever commentary on how we can imagine the end of reality itself, but not the end of capitalism. And I get to write about Fair Play, the erotic thriller on Netflix starring Ansel Elgort. No, um, Alden Ehrenreich. Sorry, we should not get those two people confused. Um, but also, like, I get to write about all this stuff that I love writing. By the way, i disappointed with that recommendation. I'm sorry. And it's a misgenre. Okay, you don't think it's an erotic thriller? It, it isn't. <laughs> okay, it, op- it opens with a sex. There's plenty of sex in it, and there's a knife, and there's, like, there's th- violence. threats of sex. <laughs> and rape scene. Sorry. Okay. Uh, to to, to spoil, spoil that movie, it's not an erotic thriller. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Anyway. All right. But anyway. I beg your pardon. Like, like I, sorry. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> but, like, I love my job. I love getting to write about pop culture. But I have to write about this stuff. And whenever I get something like the third season of Picard, whenever I get something like Ahsoka, it is this. So this is the thing that kind of like, as a pop culture writer, I'm like, this This is ground zero. This is what I, what I think about when I think about what these things are. It's the perfect embodiment of what that, you know, not to get all Scorsese on it, but the contentification of media. The idea that you just want something that fills a two and a half hour shaped jug that you can release in a slot on Christmas. Um, so yeah, no, this would be one of the worst 100 movies I've ever seen. I'm probably if, never going to watch it again. Would you prefer if they waited until good movies? <laughs> like, what, what uh, as in, I feel like this idea of, um, I don't want them to just make movies for the sake of it. Uh, that perspective is like, but you watch so many movies. <laughs> um, well, like, you, yeah, I suppose you just you you would maybe be watching like Baby Driver a fourteenth time <laughs> if it wasn't for the likes of this. It, it, it's more that I have to cover this stuff. Like it would yeah. be fine. It would be fine if I didn't. Ha- and this sounds really. Again, I want to be clear. Love the job. Love you that do I get want. To do. You do want I, to cover it. Yeah. No, I don't. I like doing my job. Yeah. I like covering things that I like covering. I like covering things that I like. I like covering Andor, even in terms of Star Wars, right? Mm. But as part of my job, I also have to cover, like, every once in a while I have to do a piece on Ahsoka. Or I have to do a piece on Book of Boba Fett. Or I have to do a piece on... Because that's the job. I have a column. Sure. It's the requirement. And it's not like they force me. It's not like they sit me down at gunpoint and say, you got to do this. But, but they like, want your perspective They want my perspective well. on it. They, yeah, which they is don't flattering. need you to... You're, you're not in marketing. Yeah, which is which is flattering. And it, it's very nice. But it also means that I have to sit down and watch. It's not like you said. I can't just sit it out and wait. I can't right. just wait to hear that Andor is good and just watch Andor. I have to watch 50 hours of this. I have to watch feckin' Moon Knight. I have to watch, you know, whatever. Um, and it's this, this is the thing that I constantly see staring back at me with its cold, dead eyes, evil eyes staring out at me from the screen. So that is why for me, this would be one of the worst 100 movies I've ever seen. Sorry, Luke, if listeners have not seen The Rise of Skywalker, would you recommend that they pause the podcast and stream it on Disney Plus? No, I mean, you can pretty much get the gist of it from... The conversation you're about to listen to us have, you know, it's, <laughs> it's all very standard Star Wars stuff, but bad. You know, that's, <laughs> yeah. you can envision that, I feel like. Yeah. And and Richard, what about yourself? 
And somebody who was excited to revisit it. Uh, probably not, except in... Someone once told me that they consider the Marvel, the MCU movies as good ironing movies. And I've ne- never left my brain. <laughs> and I kind of think this falls into that camp of it's something that if you want to just stick something on, it's, a it's, good like, it's perfectly yeah. watchable. But it's I wouldn't recommend you actively seek it out. No. If you want to it's t- not worth Would intentionally you- devolving your time or evolving. What's what I'm looking for here? Giving your time over to it. My brain is gone tonight. I'm Donating sorry. your time. Sure. Would you have sure. it with no volume playing at like a bar or a party? Or, or at like a store selling television. <laughs> or a store selling televisions. That was a question. Sorry, that was a question, Richard. Which- <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, yes. I actually missed the question. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and Andrew, what about yourself? I wouldn't. I wouldn't recommend that people watch it. Like, there's no reason to. It, it's, um, I think not, like, I think if you like some of the characters, you might be happy with this. But you also might not you know and um i i i feel like if you're invested in this trilogy you need to see it but if you're not there's no fourth movie <laughs> so like at yes. this moment in time yeah so you do, you don't really need to see it nor do i like the the weird thing is that so much of the disney plus is um to do with like continuity and everything being kind of like connected yeah and in order to understand anything you have to have watched everything um and that i don't think this movie is 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 guilty of that you can you can i i'm trying to think of exceptions but i think you can kind of watch this movie and and uh, sorry you can not watch this movie and it won't subtract from your um the only thing it'll subtract from is the first two yeah you may wonder about say cloning vats in the mandalorian they come up a bit which are setting yeah sorry i i think somebody winced there when i said cloning vats in the mandalorian but yeah so uh, bad it's just a removal of stakes we did talk (laughs) about this but yeah Yeah. but uh, no that's back to tanks you're thinking of back to tanks I am thinking of back to tanks. We need to get back to basics here. Um, And for myself, no, you do not need to watch this movie. Let's segue neatly into the spoiler zone. Spoiler zone! So, Richard, (laughs) what is Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker about for you? Uh contractual obligations i suppose <laughs> it's not a movie anyone wanted to make but they had to make uh i feel quite bad for mostly daisy ridley and oscar isaac and john boyega who just none of them really want to be here but they had to be here um i'm struggling to think of anything i could say it's quote unquote about apart from the cynicism we've already discussed so yeah i don't know i don't really have an answer to that question <laughs> I mean, the Oscar Isaac quote I think about is like when he was asked at the Oscars about it, he said, yeah, there was a lot of crying in the shower, which is an interesting... That's funny because the quote that I think of is somehow Palpatine return, <laughs> which I think, as as Richard said, has kind of lived on just as a microcosm <laughs> of everything that this movie stands for. <laughs> yeah, like, like I think setting aside all of the, the stuff I talked about, like before we got into the spoilers and about like why I dislike what this movie represents for blockbuster cinema or 
what it represents for, you know, listening to, to, to fans or what voices we deem to be important when we make these movies and what perspectives or have to be included and what perspectives have to be negated so that other perspectives feel included. Like, it's just a really shoddily constructed movie on, like, a basic level where... Cats is the movie we keep coming back to, you know, and not just because they were released together and there's a kind of like something beautiful in that symbiosis of the two of them, but also the idea that like it's a movie that is fundamentally incomplete and Cats was a similar sort of thing where that was released and Andrew mentioned, I think, like Jane, Dame Judi Dench's hand. Like, they had to basically patch Cats in theaters. They had to release an updated version of it, like, while it was still screening, that would correct some of the special effects issues. Right. And, like, interesting enough, like, Rise of Skywalker has a similar sort of thing where it seems like they realize there are fairly fundamental problems with the movie and they had to, like, retroactively retrofit them in various ways. So you have, for example, you know, I mean, obviously there's the Fortnite Palpatine Returns, so you actually get to see Palpatine speak in Fortnite, you have to, like, after the fact, they have to clarify that, like, Rey is not Palpatine's granddaughter because Palpatine fucks. They have to say that, oh, no, it was a cloning process, so you don't have to think of, like, Palpatine letting his hate flow through anybody. <laughs> uh, you know, they have, like, things like talking about how the kiss between Adam Driver and between Rey, that was platonic and absolutely no romantic subtext there whatsoever. They had to clarify, like, what Finn was going to say to Rey at the end of the movie, all this sort of stuff that, you know, should have been dealt with in the movie itself but like it's just so poorly put together that like Disney are like trying to retrofit it in real time they're trying they're still trying to hammer out it's like trying to hammer out the dent in a car and it just makes the car worse mm. like yeah it, it, uh, the the shoddiness of the construction of this as like a several hundred million dollar blockbuster is is like is is one reason like it's not even the main reason it's like item number five and why i dislike this movie so much it's just it's it's so spectacularly poorly made and like i i don't i think richard's on to something when he says like there there isn't a perspective there because this is a movie that was kind of cobbled together on the fly with no real thought about like what it is a uh, what it is about I mean, is it, it's is it not a movie about um the killing hitler again <laughs> but it, it's about fa i feel like it's about a lot of stuff I, I i i don't think it's especially coherent but i think it's it it is about found family i think it is about the 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 power of women and of uh overcoming kind of uh one's sort of um circumstances or but i feel like the last jedi was about that too and more successfully and to a better end point, I think. I don't know. This sure. Is it is about that. It's just, yes. uh, yeah. Absolutely. But like, like the, the, the movie ends with her, like she hears the voices of, sorry to skip ahead, but like, if we're talking about what the movie is about, yeah, no, go for it. She hears like, Adi, Kenobi, Adi Gallia, like beloved, uh, Adi Gallia. <laughs> Everybody knows Adi Gallia. Um, Ayla Secura, um, and of course, Ashoka Katano, who, who we're more familiar with now. But yeah. a different voice. Yeah, exactly. Um, they, and, and he says, I am all of the Sith. And she says, I'm every Jedi. Which is um, 
nonsense. Well, it, it's yeah, it's very this... intentionally like I'm every woman. Well, I mean, but it's it is also Qui Gon Jinn, Anakin, and Luke. She hears as well. It's I know, just but that the, she hears the, women. You, there, yeah, the, the, there's no. <laughs> I mean, why would you have Key Addy Monday? I'm I'm pretty sure she just says I am all the Jedi. I don't know that she, she says I'm every Jedi. <laughs> but but I, I would agree that I think it's that that line me. is the kind of the Rosetta Stone here because I have it in my notes like what does that mean? I think that's that's this that's key here. I think if you unlock what well, that means, I have a whole village behind me. Yeah, but I, I I think I think the movie does does make a point of including kind of uh, these sort of marginal characters who like. But but who were on the Jedi Council or who were kind of like who you see in Order sixty six and it's like that means something. For, I think the for, fact for her more than say just having like another sort of. Well, can can I just interject here? And Sorry. Luke Luke asked, "Why is that scene? What is the point of that scene?" Uh, apparently, in early drafts of the script, that was supposed to be an end game inspired portal scene in which the Force ghosts oh of Luke and yes, they have Luke and Qui Gon and Obi Wan Kenobi would appear and would fight the Sith ghosts that were up in the balconies. Right. Um. So the idea was that it was going to be a big like That's finale. So rubbish. That is what it is. It's just less explicit. Yes. But it's that also... is what it is. Except Liam Neeson wouldn't agree to show up. <laughs> basically, but did, do either Obi Wan. Do do people? Yeah, I mean, I feel like those three names. Maybe not Ashoka Tano, but, um, but Ayla and Addy. I feel like those were perhaps the names where people who are not Star Trek aficionados might struggle. Star Wars, and that they're sorry, sorry, Star Wars aficionados might struggle. I Andrew is very Wars. taken by the critic. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, um, Star um, something, I don't. Yeah, whatever yeah, this is, um, exactly. The, I thought he was making a funny joke with that, but no, he was. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I think, I think there is something pointed in their inclusion there, and and uh, and that that is a point that the movie is trying to make. But the fact that if you but don't know your but, star, like, did you you had to look up who most of those people were, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, like, yeah. is there a sense in which that doesn't register for audiences if they just well, hear Liam Neeson and they hear, um, fucking? But I'm Aiden not. Chris- I'm not talking about uh, Liam Neeson. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm. Oh, sorry. The 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 point is that that is something that the movie is about. Sorry, got, Luke. You want? I've got sorry. two points on this from from my notes because I, I I get definitely where Angie's coming from. I think that this line is what the movie is about. It's just a case of. On, of cracking it I suppose because <laughs> right. I think in the first instance who is she saying that to I don't believe ultimately it's it's her saying it to, to Palpatine she's saying it to us the the audience and if you look at this through a brand management point of view it's saying that all of these characters are all part of the like don't get too hung up on this episode <laughs> It's all Star Wars now. It's all Star Wars IP. And you can, if you don't like this one, don't worry, because Ahsoka is coming down the line. It's in development. Don't worry. And it all counts, and it's all here, and it's all coming. And and it's all equally meaningful, and you get to enjoy it all. And I think that if you tie it into the kind of the final line and the risable kind of, what's your last name? I don't have one. 
Oh, I do. It's Skywalker. People are very rude well, that, in this movie, where they're like, "I the, demand to know your name, the, your full this, name." Well, that, it, it's like nice shooting. <laughs> What's your name? <laughs> this, <laughs> this, this the obligatory this RoboCop, Robocop reference. reference. <laughs> this movie yeah. loses the thread of its uh, kind of main three to four characters so thoroughly. So, like Ray's arc is so confused, but it's ultimately not. It's not about Ray. They kind of taking on with the Skywalker name specifically. And the rise of Skywalker and all this stuff is saying, it's not her story. It's your story. Yeah. <laughs> you, the Star Wars fan. This is about you and, you know, your ability to, to overcome. And I remember writing at the time what I thought the movie was about and how it was about anger and how anger is a very powerful force, <laughs> but it can be overcome through the power of IP and through getting more Star Wars stuff. You know, which is basically what's happening in this movie. Ray is angry until she gets more Star Wars IP and then is able well, to overcome. I, I think she wants to feel that she deserves Star Wars IP. Right, which you like, do deserve, the viewer. No, but you deserve they, the Obi Wan miniseries. She is like you deserve you and McGregor coming back into the role. I want you, the audience, to love me, the character, as much as you love all of these other. Um, yes, uh, Jedi. I am part of that unbroken chain, and that is my journey as as a character to realize that, like, I'm not defined by kind of my um, uh, uh, my grandfather, let's okay. say, or, or by something I'm not that defined you're, by being an individual. I'm being undefined by being I'm part, part of, of something idea. bigger. Yeah, and. and therefore it's like it doesn't matter what any like these characters lose value because they just it just becomes another star wars protagonist well, it, it's, it's about being part of a family though it's the it's the the uh, uh fast and the furious of it all it's about family because everybody has it, family. to the extent that it's doing that it's doing it so badly that's what it like it drops the ball with all of these characters sure. no and, and, Unda- and, and, undoubtedly I just think the movie is about. Things. Okay, can I? Can but I... if it were to do that successfully, I feel like it would actually involve people that she's met, <laughs> kind of boosting her up at the end, and and, and, and kind of doing she, it for them. She, she's never met um, uh, Ela Nadi. No, exactly. Um, like those are the people that give her the strength to win the day, and not. But it's thin. also <laughs> yeah. Lando Calrissian, and it's also kind of all of the kind of the, the it's everybody who believes in the rebellion or whatever they're calling it these days. <laughs> you can, know? can I can I throw an idea out there? Right, I think I think you are both right. I think that the movie, if you take a step back, if you put on your kindest glasses, your rose tinted glasses, and you squint, you can say it is making a point. I'm not uh, a fanboy, though. Okay, like, no, I'm I, not I, looking at it through the I know, most I know, rose I glasses. Okay, but, but I think you can make a point that if you were to, like, strip out, ignore the fact that this is the ninth movie in a long-running franchise, ignore the context of, well, there was a big online vocal reaction to the last movie that may have sure. happened to this. If you can pretend in a bubble this movie just materialized on your doorstep and you're watching it, and you're saying, you're asked, what is this about? You can say, okay, I think I can see what it might be about. It might be about the idea. It's 2019. We are three years into the Trump presidency. 
we are dealing with the fact that America is finally having a reckoning on things like, you know, institutional racism, things like the legacy of slavery. We have these discussions about the horrible things that your grandparents did, right? The idea that your parents and grandparents were complicit in broken systems that did terrible things. And you have discovered, you know, the famous story about Ben Affleck discovering on, you know, who do you think you are, that his family were slave owners. The discourse that happens around Benedict Cumberbatch around the same time, his plantation or his family's plantation. Wait, Ben Affleck, what? <laughs> Do you not hear this? This is also no. news to me, yeah. No. He, he, covered, he pulled it out. It was really controversial. They he, they found out, they do, did an episode on him, and the end reveal was that your family owned slaves. And he was like, okay, well, that episode is never being released. And they were like, yeah, <laughs> that's that's fair. That's and so then much it more came interesting out, than what we're talking about. In like there, 2019, during like as, as Black Lives Matter were kind of becoming a thing, like not, not the George Floyd, before the George Floyd, it, there, was, there was this thing where it was like, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. I was wrong. I made a mistake. I shouldn't have tried to paste over the past. I should have acknowledged it. Want a Duncan? Art imitating life imitating art is, is there. There's an Armstrong and Miller sketch where he's just like, and your 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 grand. Uh, there were three in the house, and your your grandmother, her daughter, um, grand uh, um, uh, whore. <laughs> sorry, did um, uh, sorry. Sketches are never good when you explain them, especially when it includes <laughs> offensive language. <laughs> <laughs> but my, my point is, if you... you to be take... clear, he's reading from a census. Okay. <laughs> okay. But you can, you can take a, a... You can look at that and say, okay, well, this is a movie about you are a young person today who has discovered that, you know, institutional slavery existed, that your grandparents owned a plantation, that they did terrible things or whatever. How does that affect you and how do you deal with that? You can step back and you can say that. The only problem... And again, you can step back and you can look at the recurring motif of there's more of us than there are of them, which is a big recurring line throughout the movie. Yeah. This idea that, you know, you're dealing with a population the that feels... minority. Yeah, that feels oppressed, that's being put upon, that feels like it's being silenced, that feels like it's being overwhelmed, which is, again, a sensibility that resonates in the midst of the Trump era. Arguably, one of the reasons that Rogue One overperformed the extent that it did was because it felt like a gesture of resistance in the era, like in the immediate aftermath of Trump's election. That I Rebel trailer for Rogue One. It's also post-Iraq, I think. Yeah. But, but I do think that there is a Trump context of it, where it is yeah. very much like we are reacting, like liberals in America are feeling to a certain extent like they have no power because of everything that is happening. And because of things like, you know, the appointment of Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court and all this sort of stuff. And you could take a step back and you could look at this and say, well, this is a movement how actually we're all stronger together. And isn't that great? And how in the end of the day, everybody will come along and save I, you and we'll all team I up. and warm up to this. What? I knew you'd warm up to this movie. Yeah, I can you, hear it in your voice. You, you can hear it. It's definitely it's sincere and, and, and <laughs> kind of entirely earnest. I think you can look at the movie and say, at the broadest possible level, it is trying to say that. The problem is that its solution to that problem is IP. Its solution to that is, here's a bunch of stuff that you recognize. Here's a bunch of stuff from these previous other movies. Here's a bunch of cameos from characters that we are saying are more important than the ones you are watching and investing in. There's a moment at the climax of this movie where Finn is literally like, you guys are pinned down. You're in trouble. Don't worry. I'm going to save you as he's flying his X-Wing. And then out of nowhere, Lando Calrissian, who has appeared in a grand total of 10 minutes of this movie and has not appeared in a Star Wars movie since like Return of the Jedi back in 1983 says oh, 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 oh no you don't hold on i'm gonna save the day 
And it's like Finn's biggest, sorry, Poe's biggest heroic moment at the climax is gazumped by Lando Calrissian and that guy from Return of the Jedi with the gills on his face getting their nostalgic cameo and reminding you that dad gets to go on a ride in Millennium Falcon. Wedge Antilles. (laughs) I am missing Wedge Antilles. Um, No, I'm thinking there there is the Aqua guy as well. I know know Antilles there, but I know that the, what's the guy? I don't know what his name yeah. is. He, he definitely has a name. Yeah, yeah. it's it is something like that. Will we go to the fact machine? We'll go. You go to the fact machine, surreptitiously. But like, yeah. I I think that that's the problem with it is that like, it's like look, times are tough. You're feeling oppressed. Your granddad is a Nazi. How do you deal with that? Well, it's okay. Billy D. Williams is gonna ride the Millennium Falcon one more time. Harrison Ford is going to show up here and do a full day of filming with you. We're going to CGI Carrie Fisher. Luke Skywalker is going to show up and he's going to levitate a fucking X-Wing as a ghost because he's the fucking boss and he's not a wimpy wuss who went away to cry in a cave. Like, all your dad's best friends are here to help you. Like uh, Nian Nun. Nian Nun. I knew, I knew Nian it was Nian Nun. Yeah. And his, his photo on Wikipedia is great. It's like you've just gotten served. <laughs> It's, it's fantastic. Okay, that's not going to work. Oh, that's not going to work. Okay. <laughs> we'll have show to notes. send it to the group. Yeah. <laughs> we will include in the it show. It should be in our show notes. But yeah, what about yourself? Like, Richard, do you think there is, like, is any of, does any of that make sense? Is there a grand arching theme? It does, I suppose, in the sense that it's the same theme that all of these kind of have, that it is always about fighting fascism. I think the, the way you described it there is generous, um, yes. but not incorrect. Like, it is... There is more specificity to this one, I suppose, than I was maybe giving you credit for. But I think it's just hard to parse a lot of that, given the medium it sort of pushed through. Like, talking about that final bit, that I'm all the Jedi, I'm all the Sith. And I'm sure at a story time level and visually, it's very funny, because it feels like they ran out of money. And it's like, so you've got <laughs> Ian McDermott there saying, I'm a million people. And he says, well, no, I'm also a million people. And they just, like, kind of stand at each other until something explodes. But I just think it's so it's so cynical and it's like Star Wars has always kind of been since the fans took over it uh, an Excel sheet and I think Ahsoka was very bad for this but that last moment of all the voices I understand Andrew what you're saying and I think it's a very generous take on it to be like oh it's it's female empowerment no it's it's an Excel sheet that the fanboys can be like ah I know those voices I think what's I can f- add extra points to their Wikipedia page what's very significant to me about that moment is that it ends and most prominently uses Liam Neeson's voice and you know the the big only distinct co- one the yeah. big make do that they had for the fans to continue to placate them after this was that they were doing the Obi-Wan miniseries I think they announced mm. that before even they announced Mandalorian well it was meant to be a movie and then it was meant to be a trilogy of movies and then it was a TV show yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and like I think I, I talked about this a bit I think when we did the shitty Spider-Man, whichever the most recent Spider-Man was. No Way Home, or? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this kind of... Oh, the reclaiming of the craft This stuff. IP management, and yeah, the, this, this idea that we can actually take the sting out of the perception of any of our brands being bad. And the prequels are interesting in that regard because time has kind of led to a certain amount of reevaluation for those. But Disney have managed to kind of jumpstart that process by just not acknowledging that they are bad, um, or that that they were per, that, or that they were perceived yes. as bad rather. 
And this idea that similarly where it's like, oh, we're finally going to get to see Andrew Garfield being an awesome Spider-Man where it's like people didn't like those movies and have now been convinced that they have this affection for them. (laughs) Uh, Similarly, they've, they've kind of managed Star Wars in such a way where you are, you know, eagerly anticipating references to these movies that you didn't like and in fact spent decades making internet snack about. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I think that this is being very carefully massaged this movie in such a way because they know like, oh, we might need this bit or that bit or whatever at some point yeah. in the future. Like we might need to do another Haldo maneuver in season three of Diddly D. So we're going to have Dominic Monaghan say he thinks it's really cool, actually. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's, there's this very, very careful attempt to kind of have your cake and eat it because when you're this size you can have your cake and eat it because you want all the cakes yeah it's very what's a recurring line that i noticed in watching it this time that i thought was very interesting is that a lot of different characters keep saying if this mission fails it was all for nothing (laughs) (laughs) i think it's a very funny like attempt to like recreate this 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 trilogy at the death like if we can't Mm. tank the franchise (laughs) as long as it holds par then we're okay but is if we very- brought it back up for all this money and then fuck it, then it was all for nothing. <laughs> is it very transparently like the B team that they leave on like Crap Planet, where where it's like these are the people you don't like and they're not really going to do much and they're just going to stay there and there's R two D two. Well, that's where Kelly Marie Tran is. So yes, um, okay. Well, are, like, like are we, obviously we're going to talk. People about people love Princess. Leia, but I don't think people are fooled into thinking that that is Princess Leia. You, you, <laughs> yeah. you know? Well, again, um, that's all repurposed footage from The Force Awakens. That's why you get things like the awful joke where Greg Grunberg, again, another J.J. Abrams regular, his lucky charm, shows up and says, oh, bad news, there were Imperials spotted at the celebration. And you have, like, Kelly Marie Tran say, do you have to say it like this? And then you get Carrie Fisher say, pretend it's good news because they had just one line of Carrie Fisher saying pretend it's good news and had to build an entire scene around it it's which is also why- radioactive man <laughs> yeah they, I I yeah I I I feel like it was unfortunate that that was kind of the line that they had because it just makes her seem kind of like I I know that like I think Mark Hamill talks about like for him, Star Wars is about hope and all that sort of thing. But it just seems so Pollyanna and like um, naive to say kind of like, just tell me good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Ignore what's actually happening. Um, it just seems like a really bad message and, and not one that you want to come out of like this font of wisdom. I, but can, can, can I say on the, on the, on the what? On the... On the aboutness of this, okay. you mentioned like the anti-fascism. It has this cake and eats it too, because it it's like we will beat them because there are more of us, and also we love them, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and we will defeat them through love and beating them up. <laughs> Again, Disney <laughs> Disney don't want you to get too too against the fascists because they've literally yeah. like, opened hotels where it's like the premises that you get to be you get <laughs> to turn. play as an imperial officer yeah. and that is the thing is Rata, that Chewbacca some of our best fans are fascists yeah. I <laughs> well, mean they, they are camped outside Disneyland right now right um, well the empire is boss like it, it, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> 
as a set of aesthetics, yes. This is the meme. This is the meme of like liberals in in Star Wars where we're like, hey, like I'm against the who is that guy on Twitter who's like, I'm against the Empire as much as you, but but like look at their costumes and stuff, and they're you, not all bad. You do gotta hand it to them. They yeah. do, like, you do like, not in fact gotta no, hand it to them. No, no. What like there there is this thing that runs through the movie, and if you were being extremely generous, you could say that it is a story about like solidarity and coming together. It's an idea that, you know, throughout the movie there's this theme that two halves have to be reunited. Again, it's this Dyad. very se- like you and I, Darren. Yeah, like you and I. It's this Ultimately, very kind of like the sen- end of this episode. <laughs> um like if the last Jedi was like quite left-leaning or progressive in its politics and again i think you've said it feels kind of plasticky or put on um i give it a bit more benefit of the doubt in that sense this feels much more kind of like no 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 let's all come together it does get yeah and get along and like not disagree and there's this thing that runs through it with this idea of doubling right and now if we're being generous i want to get to the end of this point without being cut off because i I think there's two readings here If we're being generous, that theme of doubling and mirroring, where it's a dyad of the force, the idea of two halves coming together, America being whole, left and right reunited, you know, Democrats and sane Republicans, never Trumpers, coming together and fixing this Republic experiment that we have, which is a very idealistic view of how American politics should work, that kind of has a lot of truck in certain circles. I think if you're being more cynical... You take a step back, and that theme of doubling gets to a line that both you and Luke have mentioned, which is this idea of having your cake and eating it because you own the cake store, which is the idea of there is always a redundancy. This movie is just structurally and thematically built around the idea there is always another. So there's a map to Exegol, but it's okay because there's another map to Exegol. Oh, uh, there's a lightsaber. But don't worry, there's another lightsaber. Oh, Chewbacca was on a prison transport that was taken from the surface and blown up. But it's okay, there was another prison transport. Like when, It was actually an empty transport. <laughs> yeah, what prisoners were it was, it was a desert planet, so what are they going to take is away? so fucking plot-pilled. It is one of the things. Now, you see, you've got me on the trajectory down where I'm talking about it more, and actually I can't stand this fucking dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> but this movie I know. Is, this movie the, is so plot-pilled, and it's one of the things that's most exhausting We, we about lost it. Like Palpatine, they, but there's another Palpatine. Yeah. We've got two Snokes in the opening scene. There's, don't worry, all the Skywalkers are dead, but there's another bloody Skywalker. Oh, Rey went to the planet and crashed her ship and burnt the ship that she took there, but it's okay, because there's another X-Wing lying in the ocean. The, this movie is so dedicated Harry to Harry Potter having- has a lot to fucking answer for, because this really feels like <laughs> part of the Harry potter of 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 uh, genre fiction. Yeah. Where there's so much, like, of this shit and, like, these new rules and the rules actually matter, like, to the to the plot, all this, like... Because that's the... Again, like, the climax is fucking incoherent garbage, but when you're watching it a second time, you're like, <laughs> oh, okay, th- he got all their power because of the dyad and the fucking... All this shite, like... But there's all, like, the wayfinders and the daggers and the book has a... Ma- like, even... That's, like, possibly the worst thing that they do with Last Jedi, where they're like, no, no, the book was an item in the quest all along, because it's got a map to the to the thing... 
that has a map to the, it's yeah. the fucking it's, there's it a, is map a video to a game map. Like, they get they get a dagger that leads them to a map that leads them to Mexico. But that, to, that you know and again this this is kind of borne out about series like Harry Potter and stuff like that over time where it's like in in lieu of theme there is plot yes. you know so they just keep well, there's characters as well but but you just have people arrive and, and it's to this movie's detriment because the yeah like this movie the, this this trilogy set up characters that people enjoyed and engaged with and were yeah. excited to see more of and it just completely runs out of things to do with them except send them places to pick up things i'm here and the ways that, that like finn for example yes is and finn had a very troubled kind of art in the previous movie as well and i think john boyega has a lot of very understandable issues with that and stuff like that but like he's his character is not appreciably different <laughs> after the first five minutes of the first movie really like he's not really gone on a journey you could say as a character neither has like poe neither has many of the characters really it, it, it and 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 that kind of thing of like just let's have another character from the original series do something it kind of really bores out all the way through like there's that to the point where, and this is another one of those meme things that has lived on, the fact that the movie basically forgets that Finn had something he wanted to tell Ray yeah. <laughs> is when you contrast that with the way that, you know, I love you, I know, has become this, like, emotional kind of keystone to, to, to and gives the original movies, which are stupid movies for babies, <laughs> a, 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 a sousan of emotional depth and adult feeling. <laughs> The the fact that they have we're two hours in. You can say that, Luke. Um. <laughs> the fact that they have Finn twice. So is we we are approaching uh, a coherent screenwriter pitching yeah. technique yeah. here. Twice talk about how he has something Wanting very to important Ray. to tell right, and then just doesn't. At, like I guess because Disney cut it out. But he does it because ultimately it doesn't matter. Also, like well, okay. I think well, several the, things. The, the way that would have worked would be Finn would have said Ray, I. I love you. And she would have uh, punched him in the shoulder and said, thanks, buddy. <laughs> okay. And, and that's how you pay that off, I feel like, in this movie. Okay. Where it's just like, I think you're cool too. <laughs> <laughs> we do not have any recognizable human rights. But he could, have, he could have brought up like force sensitivity because yeah. that's another thing that they've alluded to with Finn. But again, Finn doesn't matter. So it doesn't matter. So yeah. yeah. He does get have dirty. Have affected myself? Is, was there not a scene... In the, I actually thought about this watching it this time that I didn't remember this line happening on the, the rewatch. Was there not a moment in the theatrical release of this where he does say that at the end, where he says the thing he wanted to tell her was that he was force sensitive? But did they cut that scene for the home release? I think J.J. Abrams confirmed movie, it after the fact that it was oh, that did he, he was force okay. sensitive. In my head, that was in the movie, I guess. I, all right. And I, I want to, like, again, this is the thing where I'm watching this with the eyes of somebody who watches the industry and kind of has some idea of how the industry works, right? And that is a great having your cake and eating it moment where you have Finn going, there's something I need to tell you. So if you are in the audience and you are a like Finn and Ray shipper, you're like, oh, he loves her. He really loves her. And if you're in the audience and you're not a Finn and Ray shipper, you're like, oh, he's going to tell her he's force sensitive. That's what he's going to tell her. And so the movie doesn't have to pick one audience over the other. And you have this thing that happens throughout where like, they will keep... You mentioned... Andrew mentioned characters. And they keep adding new characters that, into the narrative. That, that's what... Luke mentioned Harry Potter. Harry Potter and the Deadly Hallows Part 2. Like, the, the final kind of showdown of that movie is like... 
I'm also here. <laughs> but I mean, oh, they keep adding new characters as well, like Pride, the Richard E. Grant character who shows up to gazump hooks for some reason because they like old. Donald people. Gleason was busy. <laughs> he clearly. Had no, no, it, I think I think it's because like oh. We need old British character actors. They're not reacting to the the proud boy vibe that like Donald. It's I honestly suspect that's the reason why. It's like fans don't like that Donald Gleeson is like a fascist cookboy. I honestly think I would hold this movie in higher esteem if they did anything at all with Donald Gleeson. Like because again, I you kind of you kind really? of with do they not in is is this not the most interesting thing they've done with no him? in in terms I, of interesting is definitely a word to describe what they do with him in this movie i think the point when he goes i'm the spy, spy is when me and darren and graham fucking gave up <laughs> <laughs> like this movie is is just letting the wheel fucking run loose and and spin whichever way it wants it does not give a fuck it is just going to the end what the movie is is doing is is subverting that like i don't i don't think it's very clever or anything but that they are um they they have you thinking a certain thing about him and they have you thinking maybe the spy is um is pride and then they say oh that that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy that 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 you don't like, he's 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 actually supporting the good guys in this one, but I, not really. <laughs> <laughs> can I? Can I, I have a quote here from Donald Gleeson talking to Entertainment Weekly about his experience filming this movie. I remember saying, Donald, um, uh, tell tell us about the." Sorry. I remember saying, "How the hell do I say I'm the spy?" Gleeson recalls, and JJ's like, "You just gotta own it." So I was like, okay, let's go for it. And I feel like that that explains the energy that he gives. I'm the spy. It's an incredible moment. Um, it is a moment where my soul left my body and I don't think all of it has returned <laughs> since. But t- to the point about like the original characters coming in, like I think this movie is... It's re- a movie about genealogy. Right, as well. That's in genetics, is it? No, no genealogy, as in, as in, like oh, yeah, discovering your 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 your, your her- heritage. You were quite fixated on the genealogy, Darren, as I recall. The fact that Palpatine fucks was something that you no, couldn't quite get no, over. No, 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 no. Luke, do you not remember this, Luke and Andrew? You both willed this into existence. Um, the week before this movie released, we released our podcast discussing The Empire Strikes Back. And I made a note of the innocuous fact that Lando Calrissian had at some point stolen Emperor Palpatine's yacht. And I innocuously said to myself, huh, I didn't think Palpatine was a yacht-owning guy. And you both said and agreed, Palpatine fucks. Like, that's what the Imperial Yacht is for. It's for orgies. Um, you guys kind of willed this into being, I'm not gonna lie. This is, I'm blaming both of you for that one. But yeah, Palpatine Fox is basically, they did Disney now again. This is the thing where his fingers got worn away. (laughs) (laughs) So much. Um, But Disney again have had to clarify after the fact that no, Palpatine does not fuck. It was in fact a cloning experiment. You don't have to think about the mental image of Palpatine saying unlimited power. Again, they, they just forgot to just... (laughs) I think I think thinking about it now because there is a bit in the climax uh, just about Finn where he has some revelation and someone's like, "How do you know that?" Yeah. And he goes, oh, "Just a feeling," and it's like, "Ah, there was a deleted scene where he has the voice." Yeah, no, the, the, that's the thing where it's like they're tracing from the command ship, and it's like, "How can you know that?" And he's like, "Yeah, I I just feel it," like I, again, but 
to get back to the like the cynicism of it, the introduction of these new characters always feels like it is designed. It always feels like there's a very calculated, we need to say something without saying anything vibe, right? Where you have a number of like ships through this movie, for example. You have a number of fans who have very strong opinions about characters' relationships. Like, for example, Poe and Finn were very much adopted as a ship by fans. And like, I mean, even in The Last Jedi, you have like the scene of the two of them embracing and hugging while Finn is naked inside like a waterbed or whatever it is that's going on. Like the movies are leaning into it. And here you have the introduction of two separate love interests for each of them. You have, like, the character played by Kerry Russell, who's designed to say, yeah, no, Poe's definitely straight. De- Poe Po definitely fucks women. He's definitely into women. That's what Poe likes. Poe likes women. And you also have the character of Janna, who is, like, designed to say, oh, yeah, just, just in case you're curious, first of all, Poe is not fuck. sorry, Finn is not fucking Poe, but also he's not gonna hook up with Rey, uh, which is, you're, you're like, this is 2019. That that Wait. should not be an issue. That what you're th- and for you races out there, they won't make races, mixed races. Yeah, like that. That's that's what if it, it's like. No, it's like no, no. He ends up with a woman who has the same skin color as him, and I'm like, that is incredibly cynical. That is incredibly ruthlessly, exhaustingly cynical. I don't know what you guys think about this, but the the bit at the end where Oscar Isaac makes the bedroom Isaac, yes. and Carrie Russell, is. By a distance, the least sexy I think Oscar Isaac has ever been, which is quite an achievement for Oscar <laughs> Isaac as an actor. Also, considering that he was once caked in paint for a whole fucking movie, like it's just such a. But he's so checked out in, on this yeah. movie. Like the all of the act, the, they they had such wide eyed idealism. If not for you know the the nostalgia factor, certainly for the billions of dollars this franchise was supposed to unlock for them. And they are all like the part of the reason that this movie is so bad is because the performances are bad, and it's because the actors do not care anymore. Yeah, like the, the somehow Palpatine returned has has kind of had the longest lasting life just because of the ridiculousness of it. But some of Isaac's line readings, like I was taking note of them when he's talking about the the destroyers, and he's like, because they have planet killing weapons, of course they do. That's his end game. But like he just—it's like again, they didn't have time for a second take. They were—they were—they were stapling that one in. That scene is locked and ready to go. There's one where he's like, um, uh, he's giving his big speech at the end. Not which is normally like this is the climax of a saga. He's assumed the role of general, you know. And again, this should be the culmination of his character's arc. Yeah. But he's taking charge and inspiring this final battle. Sounds like he'd rather be fucking anywhere else. Like, yeah, you can understand him being checked out. Oh it's, yeah, it's like imagine like way too many star destroyers. No, it's still not enough. It's like <laughs> loads of what? them, and all of them are dead stars. I, like, um, I, it's. I, I I love by the way that like pride is like what a fucking stupid idea it was to build a giant Death Star. Here's my idea. What if there were star destroyers and every one of them's a fucking Death Star? Yeah. Is, Sorry, that is not what Richard E. Grant sounds like. Apologies, but, but like, like, I think Driver is the only one with a little bit of juice still in the tank out of the out of these these new faces. Like, but again, understandably, but he yeah. just couldn't give a fuck. Yeah, Daisy Ridley seems completely lost because did, she's given nothing to do. Really, did you say uh, Driver? Uh, yeah, I think he's got a little bit still. Still, I agree. I, 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 I think he's I mean, quite he's good. I think he's very yeah. good. 
Or, or he's right for the movie, and I don't think he's checked out. Yes, I, I think he's the best performance in the movie. I think he's given more to do than other actors. Yeah. Like, but the one weird thing about his performance is when he turns good at the end, he inexplicably starts channeling Keanu Reeves. <laughs> There's something about the physicality. Oh, where he does the shrug. Nights of Red. He does the shrug. Yeah, the shrug. It's I, really Reevesy, and I don't know what happens. I like. I I think it is ridiculous, but I unironically love the the shrug. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's good. I it's like just, it doesn't yes. feel like the same performance for the last three films. <laughs> but I guess it's like the, when he was good, he was like a twenty-one-year-old man, so he's still got that kind of cocksure. Yeah, I feel like he's been in denial. I guess <laughs> of of some part of himself. But even yeah. like the, but it, I, it, it's I, I, it's Han Solo. It's he's doing that bit from Return of the Jedi. It's a reference where Han does the little shrug thing where he kind of. Oh, like, you've made me like it less. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry. You, you I like everything it, in this movie. It's a reference. But the, the then Babu again, the, Frick shows up at the climax. <laughs> the best character in the movie. Terrific. Um, but like the the scene with him and Ford on the on on the on the, the remains the of death, death star yeah yeah like that yeah. is obviously a workaround from what they yeah, originally wanted to do but it's one of the best scenes in the movie like and, and ford for for his inf- for his infamously uh unenthusiastic as he's always kind of claimed to be about these movies he gives that like two minute you know yeah mandatory last dash kind of performance so much more than it deserves like i'm sure he was paid enough for that to be a a worthwhile two minutes of hard work. he does does have a number that um but that number is indiana jones and the dial of destiny but like i remember in the in the in the press tour for there's so much warmth in yes yeah and i think that you know like ford is always a better actor than people give him credit for yes and again, that kind of laziness and stuff like that. He's always given hands all and all these exactly what they fucking need, you know? Yeah. I just remember the press tour for for The Force Awakens being full of the young actors all bright-eyed being like, Harrison yeah. Ford keeps telling us this is bullshit and not to care too much. It's <laughs> <laughs> so funny. And I just imagine him fucking showing up being like, I told you. I told you. What's, is that the, the line from fucking when they're shooting Captain America the New World Order when Anthony Mackie's like hey it's great having him around he says like let's shoot this piece of shit um, <laughs> such enthusiasm he brings professional um, um, yeah no I just I, I think I think it, it it's a good little scene I made a little tally of little scenes that I did like okay what's else what else on the tally let's let's get positive let's get some good energy here i have one in my tally of good scenes but yeah you go first you go first okay. richard well I, I actually slightly disagree with you on oscar isaac i think he's like he is phoning it in but even him phoning it in is still quite charismatic i think apart from sure. the palpian's return or whatever yeah but i think a lot of like the more workman kind of scenes are fine but the one that i thought weirdly like halfway through the film felt like two actual characters speaking and not just two wikipedia pages fighting was probably when it's him roof. and Carrie Russell on the roof discussing their past. I was like, oh, there's like human drama here and there's actual people talking. And then it's ruined by the whole. Here's the plot point that coin. will get you onto yeah, the yeah, yeah, exactly. Then it's, oh, you've ruined that it. Will advance for the a plot. minute there, it felt like there was a heartbeat for like a split second. Because, yeah, like it's he's an actor and he's getting to talk to another actor and it's like, <laughs> let's find the chemistry. Well, like a giant plastic visor, anyway. <laughs> I. I one thing I liked. Uh, sorry, I suppose I I I liked a number of things, but um, I did like. I don't know what the line was, but somebody essentially says what I 
think of like a lot of the original trilogy, which is like, would you just stop faffing about with all this Jedi stuff and come like join us and actually do something? Okay, it's that, like, okay, okay, yeah. okay, okay. We we're gonna talk about that then. Yeah, I'm sorry to cut you are, off. Uh, sorry, actually, no, did, no please are, do. Sorry, we'll we'll come back to Luke. I guess. Okay. This is the thing that zoned me out of the movie, right? It's the opening scenes of this movie where, okay, you mentioned the idea of, is it possible to talk about this movie without talking about it in the context of fans? And is it like, is it possible that my opinion of this is shaped by the fact that it like empowers the worst people in the world? And I will accept that it is impossible for me to forge a difference between those two, (laughs) to divide, to put a line between those two, because the opening scenes of these movies exist entirely to justify those people. Where like, okay, so first things first, Ray is introduced. What is she doing at the start of this movie? She is training. So she's, she's not at the start of this movie. Yeah. It's it's it starts with It starts with, with Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren. On, he's apparently on Mustafar, apparently. Um even though it doesn't come up. So he's in on Darth Vader's it's an Interesting choice. He he but he's messing up all these kind of Raiden guys that yeah. we never see in Mustafar. Yeah. Yeah, apparently Mustafar has a separate population. But yeah, he's apparently, apparently it's Mustafar. There was an entire sequence that was meant to be him going to Vader's throne room, which I'm glad they got, to be honest, because I don't need more of that. But um, but it would look cool. <laughs> but then you get like the, the sequence where they go and they meet the character who is played by Mark Hamill, Bossick or whatever his name is, um, who's the, the informant who tells them about like Exegol and the Sith Wayfinder and all this sort of stuff. And there's the light speed skipping. And then you cut to Rey, right? The opening action sequence with the heroes of these movies, the protagonists of this trilogy, does not include Rey because Rey is busy studying. She's learning to be a Jedi. She's training in the Force. And that is one of those things where it's like everyone was calling her a Mary Sue. There was this whole big thing after Last Jedi. Why is she so strong? She's like the most gifted Jedi ever and she hasn't done any training. She hasn't put the work in, which is, again, that thing that happens when you have female characters who do what male characters do. Luke gets to open Return of the Jedi dressed in black, having built his own lightsaber with a mechanical hand showing up at Jabba the Hutt's palace and just fucking wrecking it, right? And everyone's like, that's amazing. We love Luke so much. This movie has to go, we heard you complain that the woman who is the protagonist of this movie did too much stuff last time. Don't worry, we're going to send her to school. You're going to see her go to school and she's going to learn how to be like a good hero. And then... When she finishes that, Oscar Isaac shows up, as you said. And Oscar Isaac's like, what the fuck are you doing? We're fighting a war. We needed you out there doing cool hero stuff at the start of the movie. Why the fuck are you training? And it's like, he is presented as being unreasonable there. And he's also directing his anger at her. And I'm like, the movie made her do that. Like, every movie makes every character do something. But it made her do that to appease the worst people in the world who were like, this woman can't be as powerful as she... There needs to be a justification or a reason for her I, doing what she does. And I'm, so... Sorry. I'm pretty sure they had her do that so that then she could go to Leia and say, "How? what do you reckon of my training? And Leia could go, good job. <laughs> Should I keep... And they had that one shot of the lightsaber hand over so they could do it twice. <laughs> Should I keep training? Because I don't know if I can do this. Yes. <laughs> but but like so so uh, much Jiminy Jilliker's fallen. <laughs> but so much of this movie is about like Ray doubting herself and questioning herself and Which failing. Which is what and all thinking... of the movies are about. But no no like, not, not I, like... I, sorry, as as in the first the 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 this trilogy of movies. Okay, but like 
again with the original trilogy luke has that in the second movie he has that in empire and the third movie is the, the yeah the, is re- was the, luke slaying because people love luke because this is annoying. empire strikes back plus a deleted scene between empire strikes back and, <laughs> and return well, of the jedi yeah well, yeah well here here they do the review like again another thing that pisses she me doesn't off. get to be boss until like so far yeah. into the movie pretty much at the end and what kind of pisses me off is that like last jedi does that we're not and she dies doing it too yeah. And then she's brought back by by Kylo Ren, and they kiss, but they kiss platonically. Apparently, another after the fact edition by Disney. Just in case you think there's any romance there, it was a platonic. It was a kiss of recognition. Um, <laughs> but the the thing about like the Ray stuff, and like what really pisses me off is that like the Last Jedi threw out the Empire Strikes Back stuff. It took the Empire Strikes Back. It's like you expect us to do the big reveal in the Empire Strikes Back of Luke. I am your father of like, oh my God, Ray is like Obi-Wan's niece and she's the most important person. And Last Jedi takes that reveal and throws it out. It's like, no, Ray is just a regular person. She's an ordinary human being. Yeah. And this movie is so fucking insistent on doing like Return of the Jedi that it does the Empire Strikes Back bit first, where she is confronted by the man dressed in black with the red lightsaber who reaches out her hand and tells her that she is in fact actually the descendant of this really awful person and she should come join him and rule the galaxy before the Millennium Falcon picks her up and flies off. And it's like this movie, not only is this movie content to rip off Return of the Jedi in the same way that like The Force Awakens did A New Hope or the original Star Wars, it's also so committed that it's like, we got to cram. We got to cram the Empire Strikes Back in here because Last Jedi didn't do it right. I, I just, I don't know. I find that's that's the sort yeah, of stuff. That I mean, goals. they're they're all kind of like, no, you're you're a Jedi movie in 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 um in the sense that the first one, I suppose, is like, oh, I'm I'm just a scavenger. I'm nobody. It's like, no, you're a Jedi, <laughs> and then it's like. No, but I'm not a proper Jedi like <laughs> like you guys. You're a dynasty, and it's like, but you are. <laughs> it's okay. Like that. They, they, like we're we're you know, we we've got you. You are a part of us. It. So it's like, but I'm a Sith, and it's like, no, you're a Jedi. <laughs> you know, like it, it's kind of like it, it's it's that thing that like women suffer far more from imposter syndrome than men. Like every met a mediocre man. Like myself like, included. Like us who host podcasts. We, yeah. yeah. We'll see like a, a a job description and say, like, hey, I've, I've got two of those 10 requirements. I should totally go for this. It's like a... a Frankly, I'm a, overqualified. A far more competent woman will, uh, who doesn't suffer from like uh, a Kruger-Dunning effect. And this is kind of being a bit reductionist, but it's a problem. It, it will we'll see oh i only have eight of those 10 requirements i won't go for that but and that, and, and that, that this movie captures that, that no but the mo- that element that you've talked about andrew and the 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 kind of difficulties in the rewritings between trevor and kennedy and stuff like that i think that's probably the area where this suffers the most from the death of carrie fisher because obviously the idea that they're going for here is you know, Ray having all these different uh, figures that she kind of gloms onto, and then like, finding herself identifying most particularly with Leia, and responding most particularly to Leia as like her master and stuff like that. Mm. That's that's a thread that they can't really close satisfactorily. Sure, uh, for reasons that are not their fault, uh, which is a shame. Like I feel, like, 
Because I but felt like, like they could, they were they were going somewhere with that, you know. To that imposter syndrome thing, though, the the problem is that like it's I don't think the movie is about her thinking she's less qualified than she is. I think the movie itself thinks she is less qualified than she is. I think like having her blow up the transport, for example, and having the moment of doubt around that is not something that you would do with Luke. It's not something the original trilogy well, would have dared do with Luke. No, I think it would, because, okay. again, that point and, and what she's worried about there is... Killing Chewbacca. Potentially killing Chewbacca for two scenes. Chewbacca. But, 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 but and I agree that that's ridiculous, but, like, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's out of anger she makes a Sith thing happen. She shoots yeah, the, the lightning, lightning and stuff. And that is a threat this has picked up from the previous movie the kind of darkness inside her and stuff like that. And I suppose her, her, her own internal kind of imposter syndrome or whatever has kind of causes her to see herself as a blank slate. And it's like, well, well, I don't have main character armor. So therefore I could lean either way. I could, I could turn evil. And I actually kind of feel that temptation. Whereas my perception of protagonists is that they don't feel that temptation. (laughs) Uh, you know, and again, like that's a potential thread that they kind of lose because they're kind of like, yeah, just not able to really. I I think that the the Palpatine of it all is a yeah. is a lame duck choice that kind of hamstrings them in in, yeah. in, 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 a, in a lot of ways. And again, it becomes a matter of opinion. But I think if you stuck to that idea that she was a nobody or whatever. Then yeah, the potential then for you to kind of go either way is a lot more kind of open ended. Whereas if she at, or controversially neither, like she's not a Sith or a Jedi. But, you, yeah, but I think her then, like her fear of of kind of becoming evil or whatever, being informed by the revelation that she's part of the evil family, kind of it 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 pulls it further along that thread in a kind of unsatisfying way. Where if it was more left to her own individual uncertainty, that's a more satisfying thing for her to overcome. Like she overcomes her fear about being related to Palpatine by going, "No, but I can hear Kui Han Jin in my head." <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I'm a Skywalker because I say so, and I have a cool yellow. Light Whereas there. you know, if it were, I can hear Leia in my head, and I go, "No, this is who I've chosen as my family." Even the lame choice of of taking on this Skywalker name could have been redeemed. Or Organa, like, why doesn't she take Organa? Like, anyway, she anyway. does. She does have a cool yellow lightsaber. The P it does look nice. Um, Again, just to rush through some of these, because these are the things that really fecking gall me, is like the sense in which this is a movie that feels like it was written to correct a bunch of fans complaining about like previous movies. So, you know, obviously you have things like Kylo Ren smashing his helmet. Never fans, though. There's no Plo Koon, no Kit Fisto. That, that's fair. There, there's no uh, Wheat of QB there either. We don't get <laughs> no. to find out what happened to him. Um, no true fans are satisfied by this movie. <laughs> but you have things like Kylo Ren who smashed his helmet in the last movie as a gesture of character growth and how much he had developed. Like, repairing his helmet because it looks cool. You have things like... it looks less cool. <laughs> What? Uh, and I, it, it looks less cool when 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 With it's the fixed. Red yeah, yeah. You, but they can sell new and different can, toys because exactly. he has a new hat. It's very true. <laughs> nice Simpsons reference. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, you have things like Chewbacca finally getting a medal, um, which oh, uh, absolutely, which is the kind of worst sort of pandering fan service. There, um, you have like things like the idea that like Luke 
Luke catching the lightsaber. So you have like in The Last Jedi, he throws the lightsaber away over his shoulder. It's one of the great moments in the film. It's a defining moment. It's something a lot of fans were like, oh, we don't like that. Luke should be more respectful. So in this movie, when she throws away her lightsaber, he catches it and goes, that's no way to treat the weapon of a Jedi. Um, and it's like, that is very obviously kind of pandering around that as well. It does feel like the movie's like, no, no, see, we're not going to do any of the stuff that you didn't like when we did it last time. Like, there, there's a lot of stuff in this movie that's just, like, running through the checklist of things that fans expect Well, isn't see. this, like, literally next line, her saying, I should do what you did in the last movie? He's like, nope, I was wrong. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Have you learned nothing? I am definitely, definitely wrong. I was, I was, Jedi entirely right. Nothing wrong with the Jedi. Um, and having none of the doubts about it as well. And him lifting his, his like, crashed X-Wing out. And the fact that when she's flying his X-Wing, it's still called Red 5. Even though, like, that's a designation in a squadron, right? Surely that's been reassigned. No, no, they they retired that number. <laughs> yeah, after the Death Star, after he blew yeah, up the Death yeah, Star. Yeah, after he blew up the Death Star. He is, like, in... in in the Hall of Fame in Cleveland, the <laughs> Jedi Hall of Fame, they, 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 they hang the torpedo. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, even even things like, okay, do we want to talk a little bit about the Rose Tico of it? I respect her very much for coming back at all. Let's, let's, play, of... let's, let's, play, let's play a game here. I want to play, like, Andrew likes competitive game. Let's do Price is Right This is inverse. depressing, isn't it? We're going to guess is how this much... a fun game or a depressing how game? How much screen time I knew it. do you think Rose Tico <laughs> has in this movie? And we're not going to do Prices Right, which is closest without going over. We're going to go closest without going under. So I'm going to ask Andrew to start us off. How much screen time appearing on screen as tracked by, I believe it's Vanity Fair? No, it's Slate. As tracked by Slate. How much screen time do you think that she has in this movie? Um... Well, she has very little. She's on. She's on the kind of um, planet of pl- the losers. I think planet, you described. Yeah, it. yeah, something like that. They, um, let's say like twenty-five seconds, maybe twenty-five seconds. That, I was going to say forty-five, but okay. I think it might be less. Okay, twenty-five. You'll be disappointed if if one of us lowballs. I know. I'm going to be really disappointed if you. It's like actually, it was more. It was like, oh, good for her. (laughs) (laughs) She got several times, three seconds. Yeah. Um, yeah. But okay, so you're saying twenty-five. Andrew's locked in at twenty-five. Sure. Uh, Richard, I think that's too low. I think because she has a few lines of dialogue, maybe even five. So I think that's probably going to bump it up to near a minute. I'm going to say. A minute fifty. You're going with a minute fifty. Okay. Because there's a lot of group shots where she'd be at least there. Okay. So we got twenty-five. I got a minute fifty. Luke, what are you gonna go for? Uh I'm gonna go a little bit higher. I do have the question in my notes, does Dominic Monahan have more lot dialogue than, than <laughs> Kelly Burry Trent? Which I'm pretty sure he does. Yes. But we'll talk about that. Just through crowd scenes and stuff, I'm gonna say because she has that thing where she's like, Finn, come on. And he's like, no, our characters aren't connected anymore. <laughs> Go away. Apparently she filmed a giant stunt scene in that where she like bruised her leg. And it's like, oh, by the way, none of that is in well, the movie. fuck me. Oh, Poor woman. God. I hope she was well paid. Mm. Uh, I'm going to say three minutes. Okay. You're locked in. So we got 25, one minute 50. No, Darren, you get to guess. 
I, let me just check my notes here. <laughs> I am going to guess one minute and 16 seconds, and I'm sorry, Richard, I gazumped you. Um, Richard would have won if I had not no put way. in my guess from my notes. Congratulations, Richard. One minute, 16 seconds <laughs> of screen time That's in total. That's depressing. Um, which is frankly shocking. And there are several factors that contribute to that. The first of which is the decision to put her, on, as Andrew said, the prison of the losers. Now, in their defense... Chris Terrio, who like came in and scripted this movie after the Trevorrow stuff, is like, look, we love Rose. We love Rose so much. We love Rose so much, we wanted to give her scenes with Carrie Fisher, who we also love so much. Uh, it was just an unfortunate coincidence that it turned out most of the Carrie Fisher footage was unusable. That's uh, a so- failure of the imagination. That doesn't fucking wash <laughs> at all. You oh. Know? oh, like... Well, I, I think it works in the sense that, like, Ray is this... A woman who feels that she's not good enough to be in the company that she's keeping historically. You know that that I need to be a guy. <laughs> I need I need to be like part of this family and not part of that family. Um, and then Rose as well is somebody who who's like, well, should I just not be in these movies? Yeah. And then Princess Leia's like role there is like. No, no, the um, like, you're, you, you know, you, 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 you belong here. Th- that's that's very fair. However, the 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 character is linked to another character, as in Finn. Yeah, sure. And yeah. this movie completely dissects the two, uh, uh, even explicitly in the text. Yeah. So for for the writer to be like, well, there was just no other character she could have spent time with. That's bollocks. Can and also sure. yeah, because like her her whole thing is that like she lost her sister at Star Last Jedi. So if only there was another main female character, they could have made like a surrogate sister for her that she could have could have spent even seconds of screen time with. But no, I guess there just wasn't. What's one. also really I galling... genuinely don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh right, yeah. <laughs> if only there were another woman who was struggling with an absent family. Well, yeah, that, that's actually a very good point. I I suppose like you don't want to rewrite a movie, but yeah, that, I think that would have worked very well. And it, um, any movie deserves it, it's probably this one, though. I think we can safely rewrite in this In terms one. of, yeah. like, not rewriting the movie. Like, again, it's that thing where the movie... This movie, like, goes out of its way to make sure the characters are making these choices. They're not being forced on them. Ray's not training because the internet got really angry about her. She's training because she feels like she needs to train. Here you have, like, Finn being like, come with us! Come on this cool space adventure! And Rose is like, I don't think I want to go on the cool space adventure. And he's like, cool, see you later. Um, But, like... There is something very telling in the structuring of the movie where the cool space adventure then invents two female characters to join them at each of the waypoints. So you have Kerry Russell at yeah. the first point um, and you have, uh, what's Jana. the name? Janna, yes. Janna at the second point. And Janna, in fact, becomes like Finn's love interest as well, which is the role that Rose seemed to be being set up for in the previous movie. Um, like is she it- a Calrissian as well? Yes, that is that is. That. I think they retconned that, haven't they? Because everyone was rightly creeped out by the the hitting on. Yeah, that was deleted. Like... We're land. We're like the, the vibes of that scene are like, "Hello, pretty woman." Um, like yeah, it's revealed yeah. that she is she is Lando. Lando was supposed to have an entire subplot where it would be revealed that his children had been taken as stormtroopers. His children had been abducted. His daughter had been yeah. taken from him, and that's why he was and... so jaded and disillusioned. And he was going to be reunited with her at the climax, but. 
obviously they cut that out and he's like finn i have to tell you something <laughs> he's like hey i'm i'm about to get myself some <laughs> it's like um, come come back in 20 minutes it's like good luck son <laughs> uh, that moment in 22 jump street where it's like, like what? he just looks My at sister? the family photo yeah <laughs> oh, um, and yeah um, but yeah, and then the, the other thing about the Rose Tico Ness is, okay, setting aside the argument that, like, okay, we wanted her with Carrie Fisher, but the Carrie Fisher footage wasn't usable, so she got caught. The other thing, and Luke no, Luke pegged this entirely, Dominic Moynihan, who is in this movie. Do you know why Dominic Moynihan is in this movie? He's the Tolkien favorite to J.J. Abrams. <laughs> it is related to J.J. Abrams, but... He won a bet with J.J. Abrams. He made us bet with J.J. Abrams over soccer. What is saying, it with these hobbits and their bets? Because fucking Leo Varadkar and fucking Samwise Gamgee and their little side hustle. Like, what the <laughs> fuck's going on? <laughs> but yeah, he made a bet and said, look, if I win this, you have to put me in this movie. And apparently, a lot of the lines that Dominic Moynihan had were originally meant to be Rose Tico's lines. Oh my goodness. So they took Rose Tico's lines and gave them to the guy who won the bet with J.J. What Abrams. was the best? cast Moynihan as Princess Leia. It's just not competent. It was over it. soccer. It was something to do with a soccer game. Oh, okay. You're asking the... That, that's the so wrong question to if, ask me. If, yeah. if, I, if he hits a cr- the crossbar or something. <laughs> How good is he at football? No, <laughs> I think it was over a soccer match. I don't think they were playing each other. Okay. I think he's done soccer aid, though. Oh, okay. So maybe, maybe oh, it was. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine. Maybe I'm imagining that. Um, and again, in terms of entirely deleted subplots, do, uh, does everybody remember when Matt Smith was in this movie? Yeah. Yes. He... Well, I remember the rumors for months and months and months, and then yeah. nothing came. He just right. hangs around outside the IP offices, just <laughs> rattling was... the tin. <laughs> They're not making a Terminator Genesis sequel. He was, Hire me. He was cut. He was, he was like, oh, at least I'm not on a loser planet. <laughs> um, like, yeah, oh no, I've been casting something called Morbius. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's better than Lesbius, to be fair. Um, but yeah, apparently he got as far as costuming. Rumor has it he was supposed to play either a younger Palpatine clone or Palpatine's son <laughs> in an expanded throwback. Just put the, are you suggesting he just put the costume on and it was like, nah, do you know what? <laughs> not for me, lads. Sorry. No, so, by, by, by his own... By his own account, he spent like five months not sure if he was in the movie or not. Good. Um, where he was like, he went to a costume fitting, he had a script, and then they just didn't call him. And then at the end, they were like, oh yeah, you're not in the movie anymore. Um, yeah. Anyway. Real endorsement of his, him as an actor. But isn't it also like, it, it's up in the air how late in the game Ian McDermott was cast? Because yes. it, it does seem like he shot his scenes in half an hour. Yeah. From his house. There's a story of Daisy Ridley not having a firm answer from abrams about who she was related to like they weren't sure if it would be palpatine or not yeah right up to like shooting some of the last scenes so yeah yeah well, and like again the mcdermott thing apparently like he's he's revealed in the comic con trailer which is in july 2019 right mm. and apparently according to him he was only Nothing cast Fortnite. After... was that a... no that was that was before the Fortnite, isn't that his... you hear his voice i thought you... yeah the Fortnite thing was the like for... quite near release for... I think but the Fortnite thing is plot thing right so the, the reveal yeah. that he's coming back is in the trailer and then the Fortnite is how he's coming back because you get to actually see the dead speak in Fortnite you get to see a holographic version of him and he oh. delivers this exposition speech about the, the first order will rise again or whatever final order no well I don't think they have that in the draft yet ah um, alright is there anything else you want to talk about this movie anything final we have well, so the scenes that I liked 
Okay. Sorry. Yes. Sorry. Sorry. That's a, yeah, that's, that's a fun that's a game. Let's do this one. <laughs> and some of these aren't really scenes. They're more just things that happen. But I do like the scene of Ray healing the big snake thing. Really? <laughs> I understand that it is very shit set up for, for more healing stuff later on. But I think and- it is one of the few moments in this movie where the movie takes a breath. I think it's one of the few moments in this movie where it attempts to connect to the wishy-washy hippy-dippy side of Star Wars. Um, And And I just, I I, I think from a character point of view, these movies always talk a lot of lip service about, you know, how every living thing in the universe is all connected and everyone is equally deserving of respect. And then they just mow through big monsters at a rate of fucking knots. (laughs) If you're a big monster in Star Wars, you don't deserve to fucking live. Yeah. This is the one moment in any of these movies where somebody looks at a big monster with a motor of compassion. And 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 that gets back to kind of I guess the thing about the like the politics of yes. it as well. Yeah. We can all it's get like, along. We yeah. need to, we need to heal. Like, as yeah. a nation, we need to heal. We need to force heal. Well, just even the idea that something that is Richard is giggling. A I think. monster <laughs> is actually worth she she wanted to fuck that snake is what i'm saying <laughs> yeah even a monster but, it can be redeemed but well i mean you know? to be fair this is a franchise that gets freaky at one point um you know sort of hand does in womb luke in the empire strikes back uh, i thought they uh, smelled uh, bad uh, on the outside really dreadful sentence thank you for that yeah. very um evocative i i i i do like the idea of having the the lightsaber battle in the midst of Rey and and Kylo's long distance force phone call thing. I think yeah. that that's a fun idea. Mm. It's nice to see them try to like expand from something that was in yeah. another movie and use it to have like an because the other action scenes in this are pretty fucking shit. <laughs> so and that scene leads to more a horrible exposition, but at least it's fun to look at momentarily. Uh, I like Star Wars' childlike sense of what a general is. <laughs> Just oh, generally. Don't, 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 like, don't uh, Finn and Poe call each other general at one point? But, and that, that that just means that they are now generals. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and Star Wars' understanding of what a general is and what a general does is, is adorable. Because in the original series, it's like, I'm General Han Solo. And it's like, you never rise to the rank of general. <laughs> and it's also like, you don't have to move up the ranks. You just, you become Start a main enough character and- that you're like, general. You also don't get stars. And once you're a general, you can just point to another general and go, general. <laughs> there's, um, no, there's no one, two, three, four, five no. star generals. No. <laughs> no, because like Lando is a general as well. And it's like, in the in if if we're to treat this as an actual war, surely Lando should be going on trial for the offense of Empire Strikes Back long before he rises twenty and he's such a such such leadership rank. But anyway. He has main character armor. Wanna, uh, oh sorry. So oh I I have more. Go for it, go for it. The 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 point of no return where this this series can no longer respect its fan base, uh, or just has given up trying is when they blow up Chewbacca. <laughs> and then <laughs> reveal it, he's alive. And then reveal later. he's alive like 35 seconds later. Because it is them drawing a line in the sand and going, as if we would do such a thing. You know who Chewbacca is. He will live forever. 
We would she never drop a planet on him like we did in the expanded universe. Or as Andrew said, let him get run over by a car. People would be happy with that, though. Yeah, he, he um, I, I believe they removed that cannon that he gets knocked over by a car. Yeah. And crushed by a moon, yes. <laughs> and finally, uh, the, the worst but funniest scene to me in this movie is where, again, for stupid plot-pilled exposition rush reasons, C-3PO has to have his entire memory wiped. (laughs) (laughs) And they are trying, because this is the end of a saga and the end of an era and all this, to give it some gravitas and to give Anthony Daniels a modicum of of acknowledgement (laughs) and respect. Uh, But it's hilarious because nobody gives a fuck (laughs) that his memory gets wiped. Nobody, everybody is so on board with this happening. There's no like, no C-3PO, don't do it. Like, There's no noble well, sacrifice to it because everyone's like, you're a machine. Of course we would, yes. Yeah. We need don't to you know how these movies work. Yeah. Are you like, going to... For- can you actually wipe your brain a bit quicker, please? Are you going to forget how to make tea? No? Oh, well, then what's the problem? You know? <laughs> like, I, I love that there is like, and again, this speaks to how broken this movie is fundamentally, thematically and emotionally. But there is like this recurring gag when they're at the celebration where C-3PO gets sucked through the sand and he's like, I'm okay, although no one asked. Um, and then you have like, um, later on, it's like, Poe is like, Finn, Ray, get on the speeder. And C-3PO is like, I'm coming through, even though you didn't mention my name. Um, and that's so, what like, makes it so funny, is yeah. that they're just constantly in these movies going out of their way to say, and also, like, fuck you, C-3PO. <laughs> like, yeah. it's a character. Which is normally the correct opinion. I can't stand Anthony Daniels or that performance, any of these films. Careful. He's actually really enjoyable in this one, because he's very, like, sarcastic and bitchy in a way he never was before. Careful, you're talking to the world's favourite C-3PO fan here. Oh, I love C-3PO so much, but because he's so shit, like... <laughs> and then, like, even after that, even even with C-3PO, they're like, oh, we would never. Don't yeah. worry, his memories can be restored. Don't you worry. And it's like, nobody's, nobody's worried. Don't. But nobody... The bit doesn't you... work if if people in the audience care about C-3PO. <laughs> but, but we also... all have to be on the same page, which is, fuck that <laughs> But also, again, so much of it is like they're just trying to reproduce the like the dynamic that Han has with C-3PO, except because Oscar Isaac is like so zoned out, it really does seem like he wants that robot to fucking die. It, um, it really seems like he's on the verge of going like, get out of my fucking face or I will quit. <laughs> one, um, one last look at my friends. Oh, yeah. Fucking Carrie Russell's your friend, is she? <laughs> What's her name? Like. And, and the idea that, like, when he gets reset and his memories brought back by... I would love it if he was like, who are you? Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I, I do like the joke of Babu Frick, he's one of my oldest friends. I did, I do honestly laugh at that line, yeah, I like that line. Nice. But the, the fact that his memories are reset back to the start of the sequel trilogy feels like a grim punchline. Where he's like, I am about to go on a secret mission with Rey. And it's like, oh, okay. So we've, you know, the backup isn't entirely up to date, just to be clear. You have completely forgotten at least this entire movie, and there is no consequence to it whatsoever. That's good-ish, good as new. Um, But is there anything else, Luke, on that list of good things? One of the very first lines in the movie, and I think, but I think it's a nice wrap-up because it kind of speaks to the movie, and this sequel trilogy's issues as a whole, is when Palpatine is making his power play with Kylo Ren. And Kylo Ren asks what could you give me? And like at this point, he's killed Snoke and is supposedly in charge of the First Order. And like the stakes here are just so diffuse (laughs) and unclear. And this is the setup for the movie. 
where the emperor is saying like you could be the leader of the new empire and it's like in what appreciable way is kylo ren not currently <laughs> the leader of the new empire and the fact that these movies just over the course of three films and however yeah. many years and however many writers never got all the main protagonists in the same room together yeah and never established what the difference is between the first order and the empire and like what the first order are trying to do is hilarious and then by the end of the movie when 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 they, they've saved the day and all the destroyers are fucked or whatever, they just throw in a line where it's like, people are rising up all over the galaxy, as if to reassure <laughs> yeah. you that, like, it's all over now. The war is done. We've won. And again, it's like, were people not already rising up all Did they not the do galaxy? that, like, 30 years uh, ago? Like some kind of war, you could say, they, among the stars. The stars. <laughs> they, they won't do their homework. They're refusing to eat broccoli. But it, it just it really seems like they've gone through this whole trilogy to only end up right back where they started and, at the very beginning and, of this trilogy. And they do, they do the exact same images. Like you see the Star Destroyer falling by Cloud City and you see it falling by the Ewoks and stuff like that as well. Like, mm. it's, it's just another day in the life of the fucking Ewoks. <laughs> that's, that's fair. They didn't get to skin any stormtroopers, make any stormtroopers. But it's too. just, that's, I think, to my, that's what this movie is trying to do. It's just trying to wa- wipe the slate clean while still keeping enough affection with you, the viewer for Star Wars, to just consume more Star Wars. Yeah, it's just, this is a Star Wars movie. Yes, here's some money. Go see a Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Go see a Star Wars. And Richard, before we wrap up, anything you want to say? Anything we haven't discussed already? Anything um, you? I might do a quick also run through scenes I liked, but uh, first to say on that giant worm scene, you make a good case for being a good moment. What kills it for me though is the fact that as soon as she heals him. He just moves aside and reveals the way out, like a, a video game tutorial. <laughs> yeah, it's just so A to B, like plot writing. And there's a lot of that in that movie that more so than the to Chewbacca stuff, which again, you make a good case for being like the point of no return in terms of like not respecting intelligence. But there's so many moments. I, I the bit I always hate the most is the I made Snoke. That's a fine, that's fine, that's looking at dialogue. Leave it like vague and elliptical. But no, to immediately pan to the yeah. right to a giant vat of Snokes. It's got one of those, like... It raises so many more questions than it answers. It's already got one of those YouTube, like, red circles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not even, like, a usual back-to-tank where they're all, like, just floating. No, one of them is upside down. They're random angles. Yeah. It's just like a... It, yeah. Anyway. And there's a light I draw where uh, they, or, um, Palpatine says like, your grandfather, Vader. As if people don't know that Kylo Ren's grandfather is Darth Vader at this point. Like, no one left behind kind of screenwriting. It's dreadful. Bits I liked. I actually liked the opening until the dialogue starts. I think when it's just <laughs> Kylo Ren murdering people in flying places and yes. the John Williams score has a minute to breathe, it's nice. And then as soon as the expedition begins and doesn't stop, dreadful. I also like that lightsaber fight in the in the mind slash happening in two different places at once. That's cool. Uh, I kind of like all the stuff on the Star Destroyer just because it looks nice. The Death Star bit's kind of nice too. I think that's a solid lightsaber fight. Like they're both trying quite hard to inject emotion into it. And the idea of fighting in the water is a nice visual idea, even if it doesn't look great. Yeah. Like it's a, it's a nice new thing to do, I think. And as that recent Twitter thread pointed out, that of the recent Disney Plus shows that show someone stopping a lightsaber with the force. Yeah. The Abram shot doing it is like leagues better. Yeah. 
In a general point, I also like that this film looks like a film, unlike the Disney Plus shows. Like, there's kind of a texture to it where it looks like someone kind of tried and it might have been shot on film. I don't know if it was or not. I think that's probably all the good bits. Again, the memes. I'm happy for the memes. Andrew, I'll explain to you the live look reaction afterwards after we finish <laughs> recording. But that's a good one. I, I'm glad the film exists for that reason. I love that it's like, we have to talk about this off, Mike. <laughs> I, I, I love, by the way, yeah, the description that this looks good compared to what followed. Which probably cost more. Again, it can. This is the message of Star Wars: is it can always get worse. Well, that's it. It's a, it's a, it's a narrative of decline. It will always get worse. This is as good as it's going to be, so you may as well enjoy it now. Just very quickly to note, uh, just some bunch of stuff that made it through the the drafts from Colin Trevorrow. Um, Trevorrow uh, wanted to have a pin, uh, sorry, a Ray and Poe romance in there that was going to end with uh, Ray wiping Poe's memory. Ray and Poe. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, that's why he was like, the two of them have to meet, because otherwise people won't buy them as a couple in my movie. Weird. Yeah. So he was like, the two of them are going to end up together. And then at the climax, Ray would have to wipe Poe's memory like she wipes the memory of the two stormtroopers. That's why you get the gag of, can she, does she do that to us? Um, which is kind of, and again, not to get into Trevorrow's weird um, recurring motifs, but that kind of fits with the politics of the book of henry in some senses that idea of like women are here to manipulate and wipe our memories and that sort of stuff um in this terms of not the love interest you're looking for <laughs> yeah. yeah um in terms of again just it's really odd because like the stuff that is in the trevorrow stuff is the decapitation of the traitor at the start the death star destroyers kylo visiting mustafar and Chewie getting a medal. I love that Chewie getting a medal was like one of the big constants we have to fix for Star Wars Episode so 9. So fucking stupid. Like, why would... It just makes Chewbacca look like such a loser. And Chewbacca's <laughs> fucking cool. He's a big, angry, hairy bear man who tears people limb from limb. It's just the <laughs> idea that he'd been waiting decades. Like, he's also supposed to be like a... For a participation he's trophy. He's supposed to be hundreds of years old, right? He's yeah, 250. Yeah, and just the idea that, like, that's what he's wanted all along. And, like, everyone in Star Wars fucking loves Chewbacca. I feel like even if Palpatine were to meet him, he'd be like, hey, that's my fucking guy right there. Because he's a bear with a crossbow. He doesn't need the fucking endorsement of the government. And it's also, also as well, it's so shit because he doesn't even, he gets the medal off just fucking... Lupita Nyong'o's non-character yeah. alien woman. Yeah. It's such an after... And there's no other characters around. Yeah. It's literally like we forgot to give Chewbacca... Like, the characters yeah. have realized they forgot to give him a medal. So she just pulls whatever she's got in her fucking pocket and writes medal on it. <laughs> just yeah. fucking hands it to him. It's so shit. It's, like, hilariously shit. But it's so bad. I pillaged a corpse. You can have Kelly this. Marie Tran's favorite day on set was the day she spent hugging Chewbacca. Apparently they spent a whole day filming it. That was the most time she spent on the movie. I'd keep blowing takes on that too. Like I'd <laughs> yeah. want to keep hugging Chewbacca. <laughs> um, she said it is like hugging a bedspread. It's amazing. Sorry, Andrew, anything you want to talk about? Anything we haven't discussed already? Uh, the ever? movie probably needs more um, BBA. Jizz? Okay. Uh, jizz, yeah, yeah. It needs a jizz sequence. I thought I misheard you. No, you did say jizz. Sorry. No, no. Uh, the BB-8. Yeah. What, what it needs more. They, again, they give up on BB-8 and it's like, he's there in the climax and it's like, you're right there, BB-8. And it's like, <laughs> okay, why not give him something? Like, oh, he's cute. We like what? him. They, yeah, they no. introduced Dio as the new toy. Dio is the new toy. I Dio's fucking Dio. rubbish. Dio he is rubbish. Off. Voiced he, by J.J. Abrams. Oh, yeah. Piss off. <laughs> Didn't know that. Bad robot. 
the, the, he uh-huh. is the bad robot. Um, and also the abused robot as well feels somewhat pointed. It's like, they've been so cruel to him. Somebody has treated this droid terribly. But like, they all treat, the, 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 they all treat <laughs> droids badly all the time. They like R2-D2 and then everyone else they treat like machines, which is what they are. Yeah, like, uh, it, I I feel like um, BB-8 had so much humanity and people were like, um, people did like him. There was no kind of reaction. It's like, who is this BB-8? I hate him. He's um, a Mary Sue, Andrew. Like, I mean, look, he can just, <laughs> or 2 d 2 spent movies learning how to do all that stuff and BB-8 can just do it in the first movie. It, it's, 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 not, it's not right, Andrew. It's no, contempt for the fans. But again, it's like, they they failed to tie all these main characters together, but all of those main characters have relation have a the, like main protagonists have a relationship with BB-8. It would have been so easy to do, <laughs> you know. BB-8 is what they all have in common. <laughs> That's it. Everybody loves them. Uh, it's a great taste. It tastes great with other things. <laughs> <laughs> and then just finally, this is the last Star Wars movie, which is incredible. Like it's incredible to think this is the last Star Wars movie for now. What five years later? They've like Lucasfilm have consistently failed to get movies off the ground. Taika Waititi's movie, Patty Jenkins' movie, the Weiss and Beninoff movie, um, all is like again the the Feige movie is apparently in in shutters as well. The Ryan Johnson trilogy is never going to happen. Like, I think for a time they have convinced themselves that this property works better on television, and eventually they will realize that that is not the case, and then they will go full. I think that these projects keep failing because they're not all in in their heads about doing another movie but they will be it'll be by well you know that the plan is a Dave Filoni crossover of like the Mandalorian the Book of Boba Fett and Ahsoka oh, yeah, Heir of yeah. the Empire starring Lars Mikkelsen as Grand Admiral Thrawn adapting yeah. the beloved expanded universe book and comic of the same name and of course there's that Ryan Johnson trilogy that's, <laughs> never that's going to happen too. Yeah. Um, and there's the old Ray movie that well not old Ray like 35 year old Ray yeah. but they keep saying they're going to do is the Lando Dom Glover show now a movie as well apparently yes apparently which is one step closer to it's not happening it's like when you cancel yeah, a show much. you have to turn it into a movie first for tax purposes sort of a soft cancellation yeah. Yeah. it's an opera uh, <laughs> it's, it's a hip opera yeah Probably we, more chance of being made. <laughs> that <was the> case. <laughs> That's one of those things that we brought into existence because we spoke about it and then they did it, I think, on Saturday on Night now. Live. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys should use your power for good. Like when I'm like, I'm like, I'm like Christopher Nolan should direct an Oppenheimer biopic and it happens. And that's good. The, the world is better for that. You guys are like, what if Palpatine fucked on his yacht? And this <laughs> is the movie that we get. Um, yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> So, all right, anything else anybody wants to say? Anything we haven't said about this movie? Anything jumping out at people? Um, I have like four pages of notes and none of them are just relevant to what we talked about. <laughs> I wonder what it says here that the most emotional moment in the movie is when Chewie finds out that Leia is dead. And I, I know that I'm thinking back on it. Yeah, actually, that probably is the only moment where it feels like a genuine emotional reaction from a living sentient being. Where he starts like screaming and thrashing around. Like, like yeah, that's almost human. It's- weird that like nobody around leia when she dies has a particularly close relationship with leia like that's the thing where it's like maz has to say my princess and it's like not even the character played by her real <laughs> daughter yeah <laughs> but th- that's the thing it's like when they're like we they have, have to, to tell her to d2 because he doesn't have eyes but like that that's yeah that is one of the things where like they're like we had to put rose tico in those scenes because we needed somebody to interact with her it's like no billy lord specifically said to you that she would love to do it 
Like Billy Lord mm-hmm. said that you have to include me in those scenes because it's my mother and I want to be part of it. Because they were initially like, maybe it's too creepy. And she was like, no, I would like to be part of it. So she does get a... Oh yeah, that's creepy. I'll have to see Jerry creation of her mother walking around. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, anyway. All right then. So anything else jumping out? So Luke, Andrew. All right then. Well... When is Bobby Frick getting his own movie? <laughs> <laughs> well, he appeared in The Mandalorian season three. That's not good enough. I okay, mean, it's, okay. It's the spinoff. Are you racist, Darren? That wasn't him. That was other of his race, wasn't it? Are they not Babu Fricks? Is that it not like a, a baby Frick? Oh, I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> Babu's Frick? Um, I feel like Niall would know this question. He's asked Niall next time he's on. I, I do. I love, by the way, that like he is very clearly CGI'd in post into the cockpit with Kerry Russell. Whereas like, we realise that we have to give the audience the... Apparently that was Spielberg's big note coming out of the screening. Well, he wasn't available for reshoots. <laughs> <laughs> they burnt the puppet by then. <laughs> she, right? <laughs> oh, um, right. He and Carrie Russell had a falling out and they refused to be on set together. <laughs> oh, yeah. If, if... I love Bobby Frickin' The Good Wife. I thought he was great. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I thought it was like the Fablemans. I thought he did some really great work. I think Spielberg was right to point to him and say, that is the next, that's the next guy. He was like, Kathleen Kennedy, I have your new Star Wars director. Babu Frick. Babu Frick is, is, is Shirley Henderson. Ah, yeah. Yeah, I yeah, know the voice of Babu Frick. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know if Babu Frick... Is Babu Frick female? Whatever he wants to be. That's fair. We should. We should. <laughs> anyway. All right, then. So, what we normally do at the end of the podcast, we ask our guests to recommend something. Luke, if you can remember, you already recommend something at the start, so you can circle back to that if you want. But to give Luke, to give Richard a chance to think about it, I'm going to ask Andrew to go first. Um, I, I, I think the last podcast that we recorded, I was struggling... And I watched a movie and I don't know if it's as bad as people think or did people really think it was that bad? I have a thing of of, of watching kind of Marvel stuff and thinking it's not as bad as people think and that there's interesting things that they're doing. What they it. want you to think, though. Yeah, I think I think I think I felt that way about um, another um, uh, Oscar Isaac uh, 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 property, which was uh, X Men Apocalypse. No, the the fucking was it the Moon Moon Knight Moon Knight, which is not what I'm recommending because I sorry. think I already might have. I did a drive by on that earlier. I'm sorry, I wouldn't have done it if I knew you. Were no, no, it. no, because I, 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 I did, I, I, I did think that did interesting stuff, and it's not very well liked, but. I I watched I watched Ant Man Quantumania eventually. I didn't watch it all in one go. <laughs> I kind of watched it in, <laughs> you did in it like bits. Luke, yes. But like I think it it delivers a little bit on what Ant Man movies are meant to, which is I think there there's stakes in it. There's the idea of kind of like the the uh, family and him kind of I think making up for being a deadbeat dad but it's it's uh i think it is funny and i think the thing that marvel movies do which is kind of annoying but it's like part of the design of them which doesn't apply to this movie is is they're they're necessary oh yeah their homework yeah their homework you you need to watch it now it turns out <laughs> um, you may or may not need yeah, to watch yeah. it. Yeah, but I, be- on what I believe it. It am I mistaken in saying that it leads into Loki? 
Uh, um, they're, they they may lead in the same direction. It may not be a linear lead. Like they're all they are all leading towards the Kang Dynasty. Is the yeah. non spoiler, which they might which they might now abandon. But <laughs> I I don't know if they'll abandon the Kang. They may abandon Kang himself as he stands yeah. now. They probably won't abandon the Kang Dynasty. Right. Like hey, I was always I always looked like this. I was always Danny DeVito. Well, that's what it kind of they did a version of that in Iron Man too, didn't they? With with the, like, nobody likes Terrence Howard. Well, I also know. he costs um, more than Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where's yeah. uh, the scene with the yeah Don Cheadle saying, "Yeah, here I'm, I'm get over it. I'm here. It's <laughs> yeah, me. Get over it. Me. I know you weren't expecting me. Get over it." There is also the wonderful moment of Terrence Howard in the first movie saying, "Next time, baby," when he looks at the suit of armor, and you're like, "Oh, that's that's unintentionally hilarious." <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> sorry, Andrew. Yeah. So they um and I I I. I think the 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 young actor in that is also in Freaky Friday. I think. Oh, Catherine Newton. Yeah, I think Catherine Newton is. Um, it is Catherine genuinely Newton. compelling as a yes, yeah, as as a um, as a a screen actor. I want to kind of see her in things. I'm in, I'm interested in 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 her as a character. I think she 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 kind of um, gets across something. Uh, some kind of interesting, ineffable quality. Okay. So I, 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 I didn't think that movie was that bad. Um, I guess I believe it didn't. It didn't. It didn't perform very well, right? Yeah, it earned under on like this is the thing where under like the metrics billion. of success where it's like it, it earned under half a billion dollars. Under half. A under half a billion. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, that's that's nuts. <laughs> that's such a disaster um i mean it is the fact that it costs 300 million is the problem oh it looks expensive um, yeah yeah um but and it was apparently being reshot I, like weeks I, before it's released like but. the that's a kind of a cost that goes like this is setting up stuff for other movies that will maybe make a lot more money but, uh, and, well. and also the fact that like in the olden days you'd make it back on video and you make it back licensing to television doesn't work as much when you send it to disney plus because you can't really quantify new subscribers in terms sure. of who's subscribing for it but yeah that is that is the plan anyway. But sorry, Luke, what would you recommend? So I am going to recommend a book. I hope you didn't cut the bit where I mentioned it earlier. No, I no, feel, I didn't. I feel like I'm, not, I'm trying to minimize the amount of work I have to do. <laughs> uh, the the book, uh, The Men Who Will Be King uh, by Nicole Laporte, uh, which, as I mentioned earlier, is about the foundation and success and kind of decline of the DreamWorks studio and how it was envisioned by Steven Spielberg, David Geffen, and Jeffrey Katzenberg, these three very powerful men in Hollywood, as this kind of artist-led breakaway movement in, in, in Hollywood, which is very optimistic, and how it was going to be this multimedia thing, which was also very optimistic. But it's got a lot of very interesting kind of stuff to see in terms of the back end of Hollywood and how it operates yeah. and, and things like that, which... Uh, once you peek back the curtain you kind of can't help but see a lot of these kinds of movies through that lens and it's one that I recommend if you're interested in knowing why things are the way that they are in a very optimistic way it is worth noting it also features a cameo from a young J.J. Abrams yes yeah there's a lot of interesting stuff in there about, about Abrams and you know about the kind of franchise filmmaking and, and kind of uh, it's very well written, very entertaining book, and because it's about a lot of big personalities, it's usually kind of an entertaining read. Kind of listening how they play off of each other. 
I, I got through it in a week. It was a it was a really great gift. Um, so I mean, with Christmas coming up, you could also just give it. Yes, a Christmas gift. is tomorrow. Of now, to be fair, yeah, Christmas is two days from from today. Yes. Um, but yes, and Richard, what would you recommend? What are you enjoying? Uh, well, kind of inspired by the film we just watched in a very limited way. Um, I think the first time I'd seen this, I hadn't seen Carrie Russell in many things. Um, I recently started watching The Americans, so it was it kind of hurt my soul seeing her in this and given nothing to do. Uh, but if, like me, you haven't seen The Americans, I would highly recommend it. I haven't quite finished it yet. I think I have like two seasons still to go. But for a show that didn't get that much attention, as far as I can remember, during the 2010s, it's definitely one of those best TV shows of that decade. It's it's just incredibly well written and acted. It does a brilliant job of just contrasting like, family tensions with Cold War, historical events. It's, it's just damn fine television. And Keira Russell is very good in it, unlike her limited mask-wearing performance here. Matthew Reese has got to be fantastic. I, 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 He's great too. I, yeah. I saw that. Um, a beautiful uh, day in the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, and I just thought that was incredible. He's great in general. I mean, again, he's he's also worked with Spielberg. He was in. Um, he was very good in The Post, I think, as well. It's a movie people don't talk enough about. Uh, we should mention, by the way, that is available um, on Sky for. You can watch all six seasons. It's on Channel 4, all six seasons. You can watch a single season of it in 4K on Disney+, Plus if you choose to as well. Oh, I think it's all on Disney+, Plus otherwise, but I oh. guess not in 4K. All right, then. Um, and for myself, in terms of recommendations, it's Christmas. This has been a very long discussion. Maybe you want to watch a long movie. There are plenty of great long movies out you could watch. Uh, at the moment, The Killers of the Flower Moon is probably on Apple TV at the moment. And it's well worth seeking out. It's a nice Christmas watch. Nice feel-good movie. Andrew and I have maybe already covered it in the podcast. I don't think we will have, though, but we might have. Um, and then there's also uh, The Irishman, which is on Netflix. And we did cover that a couple of years ago. I think that's a good episode. So you can watch the movie and listen to the podcast as well. Very good Christmas viewing, I think. Um, yeah, so that would be my recommendations. Oh, also The Guest, which is like a Christmas movie if it were set at Halloween. It's a story about a man who comes to visit a family strikes up a connection, and ends up... Anyway. All right. That is what I would recommend. All right. If listeners are looking for a bit more Luke, a bit more Richard in their lives, where can they find you? Watch out, watch up to. So Richard, watch out, watch up to. Uh, Up to the usual, which is not that much, but you can find me on Blue Sky or Twitter. Sorry, X. uh, Under Frontastic, F-R-O-N-Tastic. A lot of retweets, mostly. Um, Usually of Darren's better opinions than mine, but yeah. Uh, and Luke, where can they find you? Watch out, watch up there. Uh, yeah, you can find me on the socials at Mr. Cynical. That's cynical with an I. And you can find me, as always, writing away on filmindublin.ie. All right, then. Um, all right, we'll be back next week. Hopefully, we'll be covering uh, the third in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, that is The Return of the King. Yes, we are breaking from the format of the show and covering a movie that is on the 250 uh hopefully that'll be a good fun discussion and then just in time for new year's we'll be jumping back into the halloween franchise we'll be looking at david gordon green's halloween trilogy uh, and joining us for that discussion first of all will be charlene Lydon and the wonderful bren murphy and obviously joey kill will be reteaming for all three but for the finale for halloween ends reteaming fresh off their episode of the monday lorians a star wars podcast where they spent an hour and a half talking about uh, halloween will be the wonderful richard drum and the fantastic Niall Glynn. So you can round that out. Thank you very much, guys. Ooh, and sorry this went you. as long as it did. Um, yeah. And I'm sorry this was a therapy session for me. <laughs> no, it's all right. Cheers. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks, guys.